OTB. Probably days we were questioning maybe whether this would ever happen first. So now, you know, as I said, it's special and it'll be all undone. Is the only thing if you don't get over the line next week. So um, everything now is riding on that one. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, you're very welcome along. It's half past seven. It's Wednesday morning. This is OTBAM. Uh, Jaron Shane in the studio. Shane, how are you? Good morning. How are things? Also with us on the line this morning, we have Nathan Murphy. Nathan, good morning to you. How are you? How are you getting on, lads? Very good. It's very good. You're um, Dr. Doom, we've asked you to be this morning. A wet blanket, a cold, wet, soggy blanket this January for the most underwhelming Premier League 11 of the season so far. And you're like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to sp- spread my misery around the place. Well, well, it wasn't. It wasn't exactly like that. I said I want to come on and talk about Lee Keegan for half an hour, and they said under no circumstances will that be allowed after the outrageous comments. Well, of Shane Hannon yesterday. Is that why, is that why you're wearing black this morning, Nathan? Or you're well, I, I, exactly. Mm. You said it. Ji uh, Sung Park, dear God, Shane, Can in just- the world of. Bad takes, that is right up there. I'll give you a flavour of some of the other comments I got uh, yesterday, Nathan, on uh, on both uh, Twitter and YouTube. I have them in front of me here. Danny says, absolute sausage. See this, shite pal, and tagged one of his mates. Uh, Thank you for making me burst out laughing in the middle of Perth at Shane Hannon. <laughs> Finbar, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, that's Ian O'Reilly. Finbar says, comparing one of the greatest GA players ever to a decent squad player at United. Well, that's just ridiculous. Park was more than just a squad player at United. Baldy says, Bale retired the... Excuse me, let me finish here, Nathan. I'll, I'll, I'll give you your moment. Baldy says, Bale retired the same day the proper comparison was laid on a plate. No, it wasn't. My, my point was, both very fit, both extremely uh, brilliant in terms of work ethic. Bale. Big time, big time goals. Bale. Marking, man-marking jobs. So you can stop saying Bale at that point. Uh, and then someone replied to me on Twitter to say, oh, sure, when did Park score in those big games when he was doing man-marking jobs? Park scored against AC Milan twice with Pirlo in his pocket. He scored against Arsenal in a Champions League semi-final. He scored against Chelsea in a Champions League quarter-final. He scored in big, big Premier League games against Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, you name it. So don't come to me with the... Oh, he's, he's done his work. Don't come to me with the... Here's Rafa Benitez. Oh, spent about four hours last <laughs> night. Let's see. Uh, here, when Monaghan have been relegated in Casabar at the end of March, Shane, you pop down and see the welcome you get from the Mayo supporters that night at McHale Park. My point was, they should welcome me with open arms because it was a massive, massive compliment. Someone else says that Monaghan lad needs to take a long, hard look at, look at himself. Park won four Premier League titles in a Champions League, Nathan. This was meant as the utmost compliment to both men. Yeah, he was so important to Manchester United in that Champions League victory. How did, how did he play in the final? Didn't Ferguson uh, say it was he, his biggest regret? He played he in both legs of the semi? He didn't even make the squad for the final. Yeah, That's it, how important he was to Manchester United. Didn't Ferguson Jason say it was Park, his biggest regret? If you, were to, if you were to put together a list of the 100 greatest Manchester United players, Jason Park would struggle to make the top 100. Lee Keegan is Mayo's greatest ever player. Yeah, I know. There is absolutely no comparison. Lee Keegan was, the, one, was the first name on the team sheet. Jason Park was the guy you're going, well, his job there is he'll get the best out of everybody else. If he goes in, he's doing a nice, tidy job. As well. Manchester United have had like one of the great things about Ferguson's management was he always had those sort of players guys who'd step in do a job and allow everybody else to flourish it was Jason Park's role Lee Keegan was the superstar I agree he was the with one you. who took the entire team on his shoulders Jason Park didn't take an entire team on his shoulders he did a job he did what he was told and he did it very well 
Someone, James says, someone tells Shane to think before he talks. Seriously, I have thought before I've spoken. I've, I've spoken here. That's the point. I'm saying <laughs> that's why it's so bad. No, <laughs> and people agreed with me. Conan Byrne says, Parchy song that won four Premier League titles, three League Cups, two Eredivisie, Champions League, FIFA Club World Cup, hundred caps for South South Korea, finished fourth in the World Cup. This is a compliment. He's hardly a bad player. He's literally... He's a bad player, but you're comparing him to Mayo's greatest yeah, ever player. I'm saying he, Lee Keegan is Mayo's greatest ever player, I agree with you, but... But, but that it, makes him the equivalent of a Ji Sung Park, no, a squad player, someone who wouldn't be in Manchester United's top 100. Not a squad who, player. Ji Sung Park was a fine player in his own right, right. and as you say, has a long, has a, has a lengthy list of medals and can go home and be very proud of his career. Exactly, but... But he was not, he was not a pivotal player in that Manchester United team. He was a pivotal player in that Manchester United team. That's my point. He couldn't even make the squad could, for the Champions yes, League final. Yes, and Ferguson wrote in his book and said it was one of his biggest regrets. My point is, he's a brilliant man marker, like Lee Keegan, still managed to score in those games, like Lee Keegan, brilliant work ethic and fitness... Everyone at United and Carrington spoke about Park's fitness. Everyone in Mayo speaks about Lee Keegan's fitness. Does the job for you. Just There's, there's a Lee number Keegan of... Lee Keegan doesn't do the job for you. Because he doesn't just do the job for you. You don't just pick you. anyone he to mark Messi or Piero. an entire county on his shoulders. He turned up in every big game with the weight of expectation of all those years of not having won All-Ireland. Yes. And no matter how Mayo played, he was their best player on the pitch. He man-marked the best player in the, count, in the country. Yes. And he would go and he would have them on their heels chasing him around the pitch. And he had to carry everybody else in that team with him. He had to inspire everybody else. Jason Park just had to do his job, go quite about his business and leave it to the superstars I, leave it to Rooney leave it to Ronaldo leave it to Tevez that was his job I know, it's, I, there's no comparison for their role what? within the team I noticed the trend on, on Twitter and, and some of the, the comments I was getting a lot of Manchester United fans were, were like brilliant comparison yeah understandable Park it, the problem here is that fans outside Manchester United fans don't appreciate what Park was each club has one and maybe if I mentioned someone I don't know who the Liverpool comparison would be uh, for someone who was a man marker, still scored goals in those games, work rate. But I think it was because it was a Manchester United player that people were like, nope, nope, not having it. And all the United fans were like, I was having Manchester United and Mayo fans, people who were both, saying, yeah, yeah, understandable. I know what you're trying to say. Not everyone agreed, but they know what I'm trying to get at. He's a man marker, he's fit. Like, it was hardly an insult to Lee Keegan. By the way, I also agree, is the greatest player ever to have lined out for Mayo the greatest player to never to have won in All-Ireland a lovely guy by all accounts and I would, te- I would say this comparison to his face it was, hardly a, it was hardly a backhanded compliment it was a full on compliment I'd say Irish people think of Sung Park in the same breath as uh, John O'Shea and Phil Neville and that group of players and the uh, Michael Silvestres of the world okay uh, you know but in that kind of second tier Manchester United players who won everything if Parchee's son, around, if Parchee's son was English, but in much the same way as like um, you know any of those players are are there are like y- y- we don't Let's put some respect on Parchee's son's name. If he no. was English, we everyone would be talking about him. But if he was Irish, we think the son shone out of his ass. Johnny Evans, that that level of player, that's where he's at. I'm looking at the, no, no, he's above that. I'm sorry, he's above that. Team team. He captained his country players. to a World Cup semi final. He didn't, every, he didn't every, play every in the first team. leg of the semi final against Arsenal. Every team and every code needs great team players and Manchester United now are better than anybody at no. using them and keeping them interested and getting the best out of them on big occasions. No. He wasn't he wasn't this totemic figure in Manchester United's history. Arsenal beat Arsenal sorry, uh, Man United beat Arsenal in this in the first leg of the semi final one 0 and they beat them three one in the second leg. Yeah, right? he, he scored the opener in the second leg. Yeah. John O'Shea scored in the first game at Old Trafford. John O'Shea scores in that game and O'Shea plays, Fletcher plays, Anderson plays 
and uh, I'm just looking. That's that's about it. So the subs in. Uh, Johnny Evans is in. Um, Where's Park on the bench there? Uh, I, I I don't know. He's I, not. He's not on the bench because he wasn't available. I don't think for that first leg. Park Song on the bench. Right, well, on you sub. Coming back. Berbatov gigs. Started the second leg. Scored the first. Sto- scored the Skulls on you sub. In the in the in. Uh, See, it's, it's old lads. It's Arsenal. Well, I mean. yeah, I mean, it's Arsenal, the good Arsenal. <laughs> um, and then in the second leg, he does he does play and he scores early and yep. they win 3 1. And, like, yeah, but I, I mean, he, he there is a big, there is big a, games. There is a doubt about his participation in the team. So you can say afterwards, Ferguson, like, wise after the event, makes the mistake of not putting him in the team. No one was ever in any doubt that the first name on the team sheet for every big game. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. In th- in that way, Keegan and Park differ. But I'm 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 parts. talking about the ways in which they're they're similar, and and there are many ways in which they are similar. Like, I'm not saying when, they're when like Connor McManus completely. retires. When Connor McManus retires, who are we comparing him to? Oh, Anthony Marcy. He's a very like Anthony Marcy. He's similar sort of movement. Oh, obviously Pele. Pele, obviously. But like the, the, the comparison, it, like if you want to get into like trying to compare a Gaelic footballer to a soccer player for their style of play, firstly, that doesn't make no, any sense. No, it's not style of play. It's, it's the man-marking job and it's the, the fitness. The, the, those are not things to do with fitness. the style of play. Fitness. <laughs> well, so not all footballers, fitness. not all footballers you would have, uh, get complimented by their man. Like, Athleticism, I think, is what you're looking for as Park, opposed to fitness. Park was name-checked and Lee Keegan has been name-checked as people in, in, in those particular dressing rooms who were remarkably fit. Like, Way beyond even the levels of professional footballers. Athletic. I mean, Very his, athletic. his athletic profile is, is top quartile, you know. My ultimate point, Parchi Song, brilliant. Lee Keegan, unbelievable. What a career. <laughs> Just enjoy your retirement. I okay. think it's a fantastic compliment. Look, I think fair play to you for not backing down. I'm never going to back down. Even that. in the face of massive amounts of evidence. <laughs> no. <laughs> even, even in the face of being completely... I've had enough of these experts. Stuck to your guns. <laughs> Forget about Brexit it. Brexit was a success. But everyone was like on, on Twitter and YouTube, oh, Shane, what an, uh, you're, you're insulting Lee Keegan. This was met as the utmost compliment to Lee Keegan. I love Lee Keegan. Nobody, was, nobody has taken it. Ana Carroll says, I always find the best comparisons require 50 explanations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you're explaining, you're, you're losing, people say. But, uh, but I have the, to explain the obvious, when there's idiots the around me. The comparison for his importance would be to say, oh, he's a, he's a Roy Keane. But you can't compare him to a Roy Keane because the first thing everyone would say was, well, show me your medals. But that was his level of importance. Well, he's, got a, gazillion, he's got a gazillion he's got his, medals. Well, exactly. And he has a National League medal and look what he did with his club. First ever county title this season. So he's got plenty of medals and he never didn't show up on All-Ireland final day. And the transfer... I don't know. Do you look at him as a cantona? A transformative effect he had on Mayo? Andy Moore touched on it yesterday when he arrived into the squad. Like 12 seasons as a senior inter-county player. He was nominated for an All-Star nine times. Like that level, sustained level of brilliance is not something that Jisung Park brought to the table. The cantona thing is going to fall apart there on you Nathan with the whole social medals thing and I, I, I think it's recidivist mm. to um, and reductionist to compare uh, to, to he started it well I just think that like Mayo <laughs> not winning on All-Ireland doesn't in any way diminish the standing of the greatness of the team unless you're a complete clown and all you actually ever want is medals because then all you have to do is follow the biggest team with the most money and in any sport and you're just going to get it so if you're a glory hunter grand but if you want drama and intrigue and romance that Mayo team is one of the great stories of all time and the fact that they didn't win is actually probably makes the story even better but even no that- amount of medals can match the sheer joy I had when Lee Keegan scored that goal in 2017 and 15 minutes left and Mayo were going to win the All-Ireland and the, the world of possibilities that awaited me over the following hours and days and weeks was that the greatest moment of your Mayo fandom 
Oh, that that it, that's the only time in all of the uh, we what nearing a dozen All Ireland finals that Mayo played in. That's the only time I felt Mayo were going to win one. Oh. I just saw all the momentum. They kicked the next point. They got two points clear. We're into the final fifteen minutes. <laughs> that was the only time I thought. This is the one. How do we get this? There? Is going to happen. How do we? How, what are we doing here? What? what who, how did you hijack this? Yeah, uh, I. What, what? Somebody was like, "Oh, Mayo TBM, uh, Mayo TB." Um, yeah. Yesterday, whatever the condolences to. I was like, "But that's not real." And now it turns out it is real. Yeah. It is real. <laughs> anyway, uh, is he more like Stevie G? Asks Colm. Dirk Dirk Hyde and Stevie G together because Dirk Hyde did the work the work rate stuff. Dirk Hyde is. Uh, no, but I'm talking about star- It's yes, really you're ter- like you're getting this is worse in terms of level. Yes, that counts. Like no, in, ter- in terms of level, it's not Steven, even a- and St- it's Stephen Gerrard for sure. But but there's not all the aspect of Stephen Gerrard's game that would. I know it's a different sport, but I mean, you know what I'm trying to say. Gerrard isn't the worst comparison in that there's you know a power to Gerrard's game. There's a turning up for the big moments. I actually thought maybe a Gerrard is a fairer comparison for a Gareth Bale in that his ability to deliver in big games consistently. And maybe Lee Keegan had that as well, but I think Keegan was, as Gerrard was there all season, but Gerrard is a closer comparison than a, a Jason Park or a Dirk Cout. Like, there are players on any team you could compare to a Dirk Cout or a Jason Park who, again, you know, give you a good 7 out of 10 every single game. You might get the odd 10 out of 10 a you season. Get a 10 you get 10 out of 10 in a big game. Get. That's the point. When Lee Keegan rocks up to Crook Park with his headphones on and his hair gel, as Andy Moran said, I think I can see Jason Park in the dressing room with the headphones and the, and the hair gel. Okay, that's okay, my expecting okay. Jason Park. We got to rescue this. Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. JP writes uh, says has Shane written a poem about Lee Keegan? I will actually if if it makes it up if it makes it up to him, I'll, I'll write a poem for Lee Keegan tomorrow. The Francie Brady. Mikhail Park at the end of March in, and you can read it out in front of everybody. Right, I will do that. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Can we sort that out? You, you, must, know, national you must know somebody. Yeah. When, Ma- when Monon play Mayo, I'll do it before the match. A poem for Lee Keegan. Yeah. Uh, Lee, I apologise. I compared you to Jisung Park. and It won't be a mea culpa. It won't be a mea culpa. The camera, the camera, the camera pants in the crowd and everyone's like, who? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Francie Brady says, the judge referred to himself and Nathan as experts. It was a Brexit joke, you clown, Francie. Fuck off, fish. Alan Ass says, if Jason Park was a Liverpool player, Nathan would have a different opinion here. Yeah. I, I really wouldn't. No, I, I don't think like, so. There are, like, Dirk Cout is the, you know, you could argue is an equivalent of Jason Park. And again, it's not, because there, there's nothing expected of these players in big games. Ah, there is. Everything in, the, in big games was expected of them. Sorry, I'm going to get carried away here. Go on. It's more, it's more like, isn't, is, is it not like one of the midfielders, Navi Keita style? Is that not, are we not looking at... Something like that for Jason. Anyway, okay, I understand. Let's move on. It's pointless. I know it's a pointless comparison. Uh, Richard Redball says it's like listening to three lads argue politics after 14 points. I'm sorry, it was two. I, I was done. Let's move on. You've picked the worst, uh, most underperforming. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't really want to do this, but Cullum said there was nothing to talk about, so I uh, throw this together <laughs> and I threw it together very quickly. Um, yeah, and it, uh, it, Col- Colum it has just said he's very early in the season. Colum has just said he's some coward, isn't he? Uh, yeah it was hard to put together the underperforming because do you put in players who haven't played a huge amount so far who were signed for big money who've been injured Uh, I've sort of gone for players who have shown a huge amount over the last couple of years and haven't got anywhere near that level and where the cowardice came in was I, I was tempted to include more Manchester City players because I think a lot of them haven't been anywhere near their level but it probably feels a bit too early in the season to write them off. And they also, 
the majority of them produced maybe the greatest attacking performance the Premier League has ever seen in the last Manchester derby. Uh, so here's what I've gone with for now. Uh, Hugo Lloris, uh, he just cannot, cannot maintain a consistency uh, for Tottenham. Uh, he has obviously retired from international football uh, this week, but he is consistently mistake prone and is... There just seems to be a lack of leadership from his Tottenham captain as well. They cannot trust him. And I think for a player who showed his real ability at the last two World Cups, we haven't seen that for Tottenham uh, this season. There haven't been too many other goalkeepers who have massively underperformed consistently. Alisson had a bad day the last day. David Gea had a bad day the last day. Uh, And the goalkeepers below that generally have to face a lot more shots and generally do quite well. So Hugo Lloris, it's it's not the most convincing argument, is it? No. Move on then. Uh, (laughs) Like the back four, probably interesting because I think three of these arguably would have been the team of the season for the last three or four years. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Virgil van Dijk, Jao Cancelo. I've thrown Eric Dyer in there as well because he started the season brilliantly but just seems to have fallen off a cliff. Uh, Maybe uh, since probably the beginning of November, nothing has quite happened for him. Um, like Trent and Van Dyke are obvious ones. Trent has obviously improved over the last few games, but the amount of individual errors he's made, just his demeanor, much like Van Dyke, the sort of I'm too good for this attitude, uh, has not helped Liverpool at all. And like Liverpool's brilliance has been uh, built on a strong defence and the two of them in particular and their ability to add to the attack. Uh, you know, Trent has, has an assist this season in the Premier League, one so far for Trent compared to the record-breaking figure. So he's got nowhere near uh, the level. Uh, and Van Dijk has been well off. It. Sort of thought, was he holding himself for the World Cup? Obviously, he's going to miss the next little while, but the like a... A, a point at every Liverpool game so far this season is the look of amusement on Van Dijk's face as he looks around at everybody else and goes, what's going on? How has this guy just sprinted straight past me? Uh, so I think the two of them most definitely have underwhelmed this season. Cancelo's a strange one um, because he's been such a crucial part of what Manchester City have done over the last three or four seasons in that left-back, right-back slash playing in the middle of midfield as well role, uh, taken off at half-time, in their game last week against Chelsea when he was stuck out on the right-hand side. Uh, has been in and out of the team at times as well. Maybe there's a World Cup factor in that. <clears throat> it certainly is importance to Manchester City. is nowhere near the level it's been uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, so I think from the high, high heights that he set as up there with Trent as the best fullback in the league, he hasn't really hit that. So that's my back four. That's four. That, that's fair. <clears throat> I mean, if, what's the crack with Van Dijk? He looks like he either can't or won't sprint anymore. It's like, like, is it is it an ego thing, Nathan? He's won it all. He doesn't have to do it anymore, or is it? Just, is there something else going on? I wonder. I think a large part of it is he has way more defending to do right now, and he's a front foot defender. There's still arguably nobody better when they're on the ball than Van Dyke. If all of the Liverpool machine is ticking perfectly, then Van Dyke has more time, has less defending to do, and is there a bit of Protecting the injury, was that an issue before the World Cup, having missed out uh, on the previous tournament, having had such a long period out that he's thinking, you know, I don't want to push this. It's hard. I know a lot of people around the game would say that players just don't think like that. And it might be just a natural decline at his age. <clears throat> Sorry, I can't, can't even get the words out on Virgil van Dijk. Okay, he's heartbroken. Uh, we, we can talk amongst ourselves here for a minute if you want. We're having some video difficulties. If um, if you want to let us know uh, what the issues are on your side, um, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream or you can 
uh, tweet us at off the ball am like um this is underwhelming because we expect high things and good standards of these otherwise you know the harry Maguires of the world would be in this but that's what not. i was trying to think beforehand like so because obviously harry or those people of that ilk would be in it yeah but then harry i think up until about three weeks ago luke shaw might have squeaked in but then luke shaw's turned, well, he's, turned things around it's wonderful now you can't you see the likes of harry Maguire can't get in because he hasn't been in the team I suppose you need to be picking players who are in the team and playing crap as yeah. opposed to not playing because they're crap. Yeah, or somebody who's um, fallen off a cliff to the point where they're no longer in the team would be fine too, except Harry Maguire was never... We, did, we never had expectations. Yeah. Do you know, he's we not were going to do down. the team of the season so far and basically it was too early. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair. Harry Maguire played last night as well against Charlton. Um, there was one moment which kind of summed up uh, his year, uh, I would feel, where he, he took the ball forward, skipped past a couple of defenders, he's on the edge of the box, you're thinking he's going to shoot or he's going to dribble past, this is going to be a Maradona moment. Uh, gives the ball away, uh, tracks back, completely hacks the guy out of it and uh, get, t- picks up a yellow card. It was one of those three-second phases that kind of summed up Harry Maguire of late. But uh, yeah, I think Van Dijk is a, is a worthy inclusion in that team, Nathan. Fair play. Uh, midfield, a one-man midfield, uh, Fabinho. Um, I think maybe you could put a lot of what's gone wrong with Van Dyke and Trent Alexander-Arnold on Fabinho's shoulders. I keep going back to the game against Palace right at the start of the season when they scored this counter-attacking goal and Fabinho goes in for a challenge in the middle of midfield and he misses it. And Fabinho over the past five years never missed that challenge and he'd go and win the ball high up and he'd start Liverpool on another attack and he is a shadow of the player that he was over the past four or five years. Seems to have lost a little bit of pace. His timing and tackles isn't there either and that openness from him having a dip has exposed Liverpool massively. There's obviously been a decline in Henderson in his consistency and Thiago not being a genie Vinealdum and not being a similar type of player uh, I has think all contributed a, to it. But. Is, there, is there not a strong case for Thiago here where like Thiago was the second messiah and has not proven to be? There is and I think if you look back at what's changed with Liverpool, maybe the signing of Thiago or the transfer of a Thiago for a Vinaldum was the biggest change in that Thiago has maybe brought Liverpool to higher heights that at their best, Thiago enables them to play an even better style of football. When Liverpool are playing well, even within games, you'll see 20 minute spells when Liverpool are on top and Thiago will be their best player, will be running the show. But when things aren't going well, when they're under pressure, it does feel as though they get completely overrun and again much like Fabinho missing tackles a common side is him just not being able to keep pace with somebody and the other problem is that Vinaldum was replaceable for games here and there they don't have anybody else like Thiago so if you're building your midfield now around a Thiago and he misses so many games he's not there it all falls apart instantly but there's been a there's been a general decline the midfield probably has plenty of of, um, different players who you think might be an opportunity like I mean, not not even far signed about twenty seven players, many of whom have not seen any game time. We're not really counting those because we didn't have that high expectation of them. Is that? Am I? Yes, am I, that's the thing. Do you put Jesse Lingard in because of the price that he costs and the lack of impact so far, or did you have a high expectation that Jesse Lingard was going to go to Nottingham Forest and transform them? I did not. I didn't. So I I did base this on maybe Calvin Phillips, previous form. Obviously, is somebody yeah, who but he hasn't got any game time. He was injured. Remember until. He basically had an operation to get himself fit for the World Cup and sacrificed the first half of the season and came back uh, in a state of disrepair. And let's give Calvin Phillips a little bit more time. Here's who I've gone for in the attacking positions. Adama Traore. 26 now, Adama Traore. And I keep thinking, 
it's going to happen from. Went off to Barcelona last season, didn't particularly happen from there, is back at Wolves, sort of in and out of the team. He gets the ball in those dangerous positions on the halfway line now, and you're not in any ways convinced that he's going to just skip past the midfield and then skip past the fullbacks and have a little bit of end product there as well. I think he's really flattered to deceive. I don't know how he's going to fit into a Lopetegui team. Does he stay at the club? Does he end up leaving uh, in this January transfer window? But from a position two, two and a half years ago where it really felt like this guy was on the verge of getting to the very top level, it's gone very flat for Adama Traore so far. Is is, uh, is Adama Traore one of those players who actually, if he went to a super club, you know, Barcelona probably maybe disproves this, but if he did go to a good team that actually he would do well. Whereas the responsibility of trying to be a key player in a team who's struggling is too much for him. Quite possibly. And the fact that Wolves don't score many goals, don't really have a striker ever since Raul Jimenez got the injury. It's been a massive struggle. They haven't been able to replace him. So when he does make those runs, is there anybody there to actually finish them off? Yeah. even going to Barcelona last season, was it the best time ever to go to Barcelona? No. Perhaps not. Um, and he does look totally, he looks uh, totally shot confidence wise compared to where he was, where, you know, he was carrying himself like a player who could destroy any defense in the Premier League. He does look like a player who needs a move probably in this January transfer window just to revitalize his career. Okay. Who else? Uh, Jared Bowen. Jared mm. Bowen last season, we were talking about, you know, should be in the English squad. Is he going to, is he going to put a bit of pressure on for a place in the team? He was a key figure in a brilliant West Ham team that knew what they were about, that finished really high up the table, uh, scored a huge amount of goals last season. And this season, much like a lot of his West Ham teammates has done next to nothing. You don't know what they're going to do. They obviously signed players who both of whom could have gotten this list as well in Skamaka and Paqueta. I left Paqueta off just because he hasn't played enough games. They spent a huge amount of money on him and everybody around West Ham who talks about their season getting back in track seems to put it on his shoulders that if we get this guy a run of starts at number 10, uh, he is going to be one of the all-time West Ham greats, but we just haven't seen him yet. But Bowen set such a high level last season that he was been linked with a top four team. The expectation was he would have to go at some stage. Arguably Declan Rice could have been in there as well. Uh, another player who was outstanding last season who maybe has one eye on a move and who doesn't seem to be able to lift this West Ham side out of their slumber. You bottled uh, that, didn't you? You should have just stuck yeah. Declan Rice in there. Come on. Out of pure bitterness. Even for the headline. I apologise. I apologise. Um, you were overawed because of what happened with Lee Keegan. It's yeah, fine. That's fair. Um, the Bowen one, Nathan, like, I know he's 26, but last season felt like a, a, a bit of a breakout Premier League season for him. He was so good. It, it, it reminds me of the the crucible curse in snooker where the first time someone wins a world snooker championship they never defend it that is a curse I always, always almost find that when you have a breakout year in the Premier League like Bowen did there seems to be a bit of a curse there's a bit more pressure and Bowen just for whatever reason hasn't lived up to that pressure well, there's a track record of it at West Ham and maybe it is simply that teams opposition teams look at them and go well if we stop him we stop a lot of West Ham so there was Sauchek and then Sufal comes in and both of those haven't been able to maintain the impact they had week in, week out because teams understandably now when they're defending a set piece, look at Thomas Outcheck and go, well, he's the first guy we need to stop. And likewise, with West Ham, there's every possibility they're looking at them and saying, if you stop Jared Bowen, you stop a lot of the good stuff that comes through for that team. But he's going to have to find a way around that if he is to get back to a level where he's been talked about as a potential Jurgen Klopp signing. Who's up front for you? 
I haven't I'm like, well maybe are we going to three maybe we're going to three Hyungmin's oh. uh, son like, Hyungmin's son won the golden boot last season he scored in two games so far this year two games mm. all season he got a hat-trick against Leicester and he scored last weekend and even watching Tottenham as frustrating I'm sure for Spurs fans as they could be last year when they were playing this counter-attacking football all of their counter-attacks came through Hyungmin's son there was no greater sight than Hyungmin's son picking the ball up 10 yards outside his own penalty area and putting the head down and not really having to lift it because he knew where Harry Kane would be every time and either skinning four players and trying to finish it off himself or setting Harry Kane up. And the understanding that those two had seems to have been lost this season with the signings that they've made and maybe a ch- uh, slight change in system uh, where you know even Perisic has come into the team Maybe Kulazewski, Richarlison, all of those have meant that we don't even seem to see Hyungman's son pick up the same positions no. and have the same role in the team. And that has to be a huge reason for Spurs' struggles over the last few weeks. That like he was uh, rightly a contender for player of the season last year with the amount of assists he got and obviously finishing his golden boots. So I think Tottenham fans at the start of this year would have expected a similar level from Hyungman's son, and that has not happened. Okay, who else? Uh, Wilfried Zaha. I love Wilfried Zaha. I just feel that I always felt again he was another one who was on the verge of of going big and he started the season very well. He got four goals in his first four games uh, but it's fallen quite flat since then and Damien Delaney was on giving his analysis of Crystal Palace and his decline over the past couple of months has uh, really fed into their inconsistency uh, since the first five, six weeks of the year. Maybe there is a sense of them that the time has now gone for Wilfried Zaha. He turned thirty a few, few months ago. I don't think uh, so. I actually he's think not going to get his move back to well um, the Manchester United of this world. Well, I, I mean, if you're if you're Zaha's agent, you're saying write it out. Do not sign whatever they put in front of you. Mm-hmm. Don't get caught in a room alone with any man who has a pen and a piece of paper for you. Stay away from them. And at the end of the season, I guarantee you, some some good club will be willing to uh, back up the Brinks truck to Zaha's gaff because I still think he's going to be effective for them it just feels like he's playing at the string In this is a contract year for him right am I right mm. yeah. yeah he's out of contract in the summer yeah. do not sign anything stay where you are I did get in a lot of um, a lot of I got um, some significant pushback when I was like oh any team from Palace down could still be in the relegation zone any, any of those teams could still sink like a stone yeah. I'm not saying they're going to get relegated but they're not out of it yeah. the way they're playing at the moment is really bad also uh, on Wilfred Zaha, the reason why I love him is he's very good on social media. There was a post uh, yesterday, the day before, I think, someone in Sky Sports, uh, one of those transfer rumour shows, was wearing like, a fairly dodgy shirt, something that, that I might be seen to be wearing. And uh, Zaha replied and was like, I think they were talking about Zaha's future and what he should do. And he was like, I don't know which is worse, the shite coming out of his mouth or the shirt. Wow. And I mean, it was brilliant. He obviously got a lot of love. Uh, so team. what was your man saying? That Zaha what? Don't clip him on this. What's that, Nathan? Don't tag him on this. No, no, no. Maybe not. <laughs> oh, I'm saying, I'm saying, like, back yourself. Yeah, for sure. And uh, top four, well, Chelsea at least, will come calling. Um, instead of a crappy quiz this week, just get Shane to drop some crappy comparisons for an hour. I mean, it's, it's good quality radio, turns out. Don't be jealous. Who no, knew? That, that's his niche. Uh, Nathan, one last thing uh, you wanted to bring up, Aidan McGeady. Yeah, I, picked, I, I only picked ten players there. But well, go on, go on. Who's it's an underwhelming team, so it should be maybe just ten players. Uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang nailed on, scored in his debut, has done absolutely nothing since. Uh, maybe expectations weren't that high, particularly once Thomas Tuchel left. But yeah, it's a bad position Chelsea have got themselves in if they can't get rid of him over the next few weeks. I'll raise you Aubameyang and give you Jamie Vardy 
who last night missed an absolute sitter for, for Leicester against Newcastle. I think it's one Premier League goal he scored this season. Uh, I know he's 36 per Jamie, but he's crap at the minute, isn't he? Nathan? Had some stuff on his mind. Yeah, of course. Well, he, again, he's a victim of a team around them that hasn't been invested in, that has had James Madison injured for large parts of the season. I'm surprised how well he does still at 36 when he comes on. Yeah, the yeah. goals have dried up a little bit, but I think it's reflective of uh, greater problems at Leicester. And obviously he's maybe had some other things on his mind over the first few months of the season. Yeah, just just a, a few things. Public humiliation. Yeah, there you go. All right, uh, we'll talk Aidan McGeady some other time. Nathan, good stuff. Thanks very much for uh, your Thanks, underwhelming 11 of the season so far. It's nine minutes past eight here on OTBM. Uh, slight apologies about the uh, gremlins in the system a little bit earlier on, but we're back up and running on all your usual platforms. If you want to get in touch, you can get us 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. We're going to be talking about rugby with Alison Miller, getting the depth chart of the backs, not the halfbacks. We'll do them again. Uh, that's in just a moment. But a reminder, Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Start the new year with a delicious Brayburn oat milk coffee. January never tasted as good. It's available at Apple Green locations nationwide. OTB AM. Okay, it is uh, early January, which means it's depth chart season when it comes to the Irish rugby team for uh, Six Nations. And I'm delighted to say Alison Miller is with us. Alison, uh, good morning to you. How are you? Uh, good, how are you? Yeah, good. Um getting to that stage where the team news is coming through from other countries about injuries that are going to take players out of the Six Nations and we're like so far it's actually so Sexton got injured but it looks like he's going to be back so so far touch wood with loads of games to still be played we're in a relatively good spot which means picking your depth chart is fairly straightforward I think from your perspective we've asked you for the wingers centres and fullback and um, this isn't very complicated at the moment is it? <laughs> I'm laughing at that because I found it quite hard. I found it difficult. Um, obviously, because you're looking at the different provinces and who's playing well. And, like some provinces there aren't playing particularly well. but And then you're judging it on like when they go into camp, uh, who performs in camp and who's bringing form in and then who fits into the system and who works well together. So <laughs> I didn't think it was that straightforward. But um, my 11 was James Lowe. Um, my 12 is Bundyaki. That's presuming that Henshaw is out. I'm just ruling him out. He might be back. He might not be, but I'm just ruling him out. Uh, 13, Gary Ringrose. Uh, 14, Mack Hansen. And 15, Hugo Keenan. Um, let's start with Mack Hansen. He got the haircut. I still haven't seen the haircut, but everybody's raving about it. Uh, I haven't either. It's apparently the first time since he got to Ireland. He's had his haircut, which is okay, right? There was like uh, interesting timing. Well, it is. He, he said his his form was a bit listless over the last few weeks, and then bounced back after the haircut. So anyway, because uh, he's got the scrum cap on, I can't tell the difference. But uh, I we were talking about this at the end of the year, looking back, and and one of the questions in the crappy quiz was when did he make his debut? And if you told me he made his debut in the middle of COVID for Ireland, I would have said yeah, that makes sense. But it was only last year in the Six Nations that he made his first full start which when you think about it is a meteoric rise and he's straight in and no one's no one's blinking there yeah he looks very comfortable playing for Ireland and he's consistently played well for Ireland when he's got his opportunities like um, I think he's a kind of winger that Andy Farrell likes he gets off his wing he gets involved he goes roaming he's very good in the air and he's impressed every time he's got an opportunity for Ireland he's impressed and I think that just says it all about him he's obviously a guy for the big day and that show. So, like, he hasn't done anything wrong. Obviously, you know, sometimes your form in a province or, you know, your quality of ball that you're getting 
can affect um, your form. And that's why I'm saying like sometimes now when you go into camp, things can, can change up and who's performing in a Six Nations camp. Um, you know, it, it can be not as straightforward as that and who, who slots in well into the system that they're trying to play. But uh, I've been very impressed with him um, since he's debuted for Ireland and he's, he's scored some good tries and he's constantly been involved. Yeah, I, I don't know if we understood that he was an X-Factor style player when he was in the team, but as soon <coughs> as he scored the try against France that time, you're like, all right, okay, I didn't... What? We never score tries like that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he has a bit of flair and I think you can see in his personality, he's a bit of a character and I think sometimes as a winger, I think you have to have a bit of that um, flamboyance nearly. You have to have that willingness to, to do something special and try things and he, he certainly has that. Um, I'd, I'd say from his rugby that he really enjoys it. So I think playing at that high level and where there's pressure, I'd say it suits him. It suits his personality. Uh, James Lowe obviously is is on the other wing and uh, Lowe, brilliant in uh, the three test series against the All Blacks and then was injured for ages and there was an opportunity there for other people to come in and stake a claim and we really wanted to see how Balakum would do and Balakum did okay. He did like totally fine for somebody who's uh, at that few few caps stage but unfortunately at the weekend another hamstring injury from Balakun. The Belfast Telegraph are speculating that that might put his Six Nations in doubt. And so that's a bit of a disaster from his perspective. So who who else is close to these two at the moment? Who's pushing either of these two to get into the team for you? Uh, I think uh, Jimmy O'Brien and uh, Larimore for me are, like Larimore is starting to come into kind of the form that he showed probably, um, or the sh- form that he shows when he's playing really well. He obviously was man of the match there, was it? Last weekend, the weekend before, he's got really good feet. Um, and then Jimmy O'Brien, obviously, he's quite versatile in that he could cover, obviously, 15 as well. But the two of those guys, I think, would be, for me, uh, pushing those two, James Lowe and Matt Hansen. And, uh, like, O'Brien is one of these people that um, just does the simple things well. He's a good distributor, defensively good, you know. Um, you know, obviously we don't need to talk. We all know what Larmer can do. His amazing feet. Um, and he was really, really good two weekends ago. So for me, those two guys are, are there and thereabouts. And who knows within the environment of, um, Six Nations camps, how things might look. So, um, yeah, those two for me were the kind of the ones that are staking a claim or, you know, potentially still be in it. We, we don't know. I suppose the ins and outs of the internal workings of, as I, I keep saying, a camp <laughs> is, environment in his training and playing well. Is this Six Nations, Alison, a perfect opportunity to, to play someone like Jimmy O'Brien a little bit more, especially when it's a World Cup year, especially when you maybe want to give some players a rest? I know the World Cup is still what's months and months away, but it's an opportunity to showcase players and to see what they can do in, in, in a pressurised environment. Yes, yeah, the age-old argument that I think if we're actually seriously going to try and contest a World Cup for once <laughs> and not come back and talk about this after, we got to actually try people. And like, if we're looking at, like, to me, Hugo Keenan is like nailed on 15. He's just, he is so solid. He's so consistent. He's a good distributor. He's very good in the air. He's quite evasive without, I suppose, sometimes you look at him and he kind of like sliding and weaving through tackles that he shouldn't get through. So for me, like, could you play someone like Jimmy O'Brien at 15 in a game during the Six Nations and try out these combinations? Because Hugo Keenan can't play every game in the World Cup. 
So for me, it is about um, putting guys into pressurized situations in a big competition and seeing how they perform. So you know then that they're um, ready for a World Cup. We don't want to be talking about the same thing after this World Cup. Like, you know, there, there will be no point if... And other people have different opinions on this. That would be my opinion on it. I think you have to do that. I think you're right. I think it's the definition of insanity to keep doing the same thing and expecting something different. And I think you you raised the point, if we're serious about this, like within the IRFU's business plan, we don't plan to reach a semi-final. Like we don't bank on it. We don't, and I, I, you know, competing in the Six Nations is the be all and end all. That's the bread and butter. That's where all of the The money comes from. You know, it's like, okay, but like that's where the money comes from because we've never tried we don't know what it would be like. We don't know how much extra revenue you would generate if we were to reach a semi-final, you know, with a team that's doing well at, at world level. We don't know what it would be like to dream of being the World Cup winners. Like, oh, we can't dream about that. I mean, that's... Yeah, because, like, what would that do? Like, it would it would make every young boy and girl out there want to play the game. That might be going down other sports because it's not to them. It's just something that's not capturing their attention, but what better way to capture attention so you get more people into the game and then that will start to yield results. So You're uh, you're from a GAA family, right? Like steeped, oh, yeah. steeped <laughs> in GAA. So what do you make Completely. of that? What do you make of... I I, I, uh, I watched your dad play for a tie in, in the 80s. Um, yeah. What, um, what do you make of that joy that so many people in the GAA community take whenever the rugby team fails? Mm. <laughs> I think changing I think uh, I think there's I'm actually in a room and we'll have to walk the lights are going I can see me two seconds there are censored lights give me a minute <laughs> we were having issues ourselves this morning <clears throat> it is it is something that, that sorry technology I'm back so I think that's changing I think uh, like definitely the rugby community um, or the GA community definitely feel more part of rugby and I think maybe like you know there is still that I, I suppose you know, exclusive to some parts of rugby and maybe they just feel a little bit, um, what's the word, removed from that if that's not their their avenue. Obviously, guys like Sean O'Brien, Tyke Furlong, and all these guys that have come up through the club system have kind of changed the game. But I d- definitely think from, like, I'd be still involved heavily in GA and helping with a team in Carlo at the moment. And the majority would, would really get behind rugby. They would. Like, I, I would have to say that majority will go watch it and go to the games and they'll but I think the next step is sometimes they don't feel like they could play and that's kind of the issue like so they'll support it and they'll enjoy it and they'll watch the World Cups and they'll watch Six Nations and they'll go to games but it's uh, why do they maybe feel like they won't play so um, and some of them are playing but um, yeah it would probably be a small cohort of any um, what's the word group of people in other sports that would take satisfaction in seeing another sport lose you know I'm sure that's the same in other sports but, yeah, look, uh, there's definitely a, a soccer crowd who uh, also have the same feelings about you know, the only shared crossover of the Venn diagram is a shared hatred for the rugby team doing well and, <laughs> and look I understand there's a lot of hype around the rugby team but I, I do wonder if there's a, a at the core of it is a fear of the, if, the, if, the, if the rugby team actually delivered on what they're capable of doing then a lot of heads would be turned and a lot of time and investment and energy and the best young players in the country would aspire to be rugby players as opposed to um, playing GA or soccer. Yeah, that's probably definitely the case. I think 
um, because it is quite, um, compared to soccer even, like, I mean, if you no disrespect maybe the League of Ireland, but if you wanted to make it big in soccer, you might have to go off to England or whatever. But in Ireland, you've got your four provinces there within reach and you can become professional and it's it's attractive. And um, So yeah, maybe there is that fear, but I think also on the other side of it, some of our most promising athletes, as you know yourself, being involved in GA, like you, you look at any club team or county team and the athleticism of of, do, of those guys and, and girls um, is phenomenal and it's 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 what our country plays. It's like, I think, I think we have to even look at a bigger picture. Like if you think of mine from Leash, I mean, there's two, only two rugby clubs in the whole of Leash, but I mean, within a small area where, I, where I'm from, you've got like a lot of GA clubs and it's kind of, they love playing. And so like if we had success in a World Cup, what could that do? Yet so much more people playing, maybe more clubs and who knows, we could be, like world beaters like you yeah. know, I'm ambitious <laughs> but you know it's it's an interesting one because I think there's still probably a small cohort if you're thinking of like say Leinster rugby um, outside of Dublin um, it's probably not as extensive as you know your your areas in Dublin that are playing rugby definitely loads of work to be done definitely loads of, sorry that was a complete tangent of, of discussion <laughs> there <laughs> sorry to throw it like on you but it, I, I, I think it's um, it is an interesting uh an, an interesting thing to think about at this stage when um, we could do it more depth. We could definitely do it more depth. Um, to go back to the, the depth chart, you pick Bundyaki at 12 and you pick Gary Ringo at 13 on the basis, really, as you said, that Henshaw isn't fit at the moment. We thought McCluskey was kind of getting to that stage where he might be in consideration for this, but he's, he's just not as good as Bundy or as effective as Bundy. Yeah, like I thought, like he did impress me in the Autumn Internationals and he was obviously unlucky in that first game to do the arm injury and he came back. But I think like he did well. I, I'm not saying he, did, he didn't do well, but he just I don't think he just did enough to kind of usurp um, Bundyaki. I think Bundyaki has that test match experience. He's proven at that level and I think he's obviously huge physicality and he's proven. So I think like McCluskey is, is not too far behind, but I think he just, just, did like he's obviously McCluskey, he's a great because brilliant ability to offload, he's physical, he's quite a good good distributor, and we're seeing more of that, especially when he was in green. And um but I just don't think he's just done enough to state the claim to be over Bundy in that sense. You had Hugo Keenan, was it at fifteen, Allison as well? Like yeah. I'm looking at last year's Six Nations squad and you see someone like Michael Lowry in there and I know he's just returned back into the uh, Ulster team as well after being arrested, but like will the the Ulster players, for example, suffer as a result of their absolutely shocking form? Uh, potentially, potentially, but I think at the same time, um, depends how Andy Farrell is doing it. He knows the caliber of those Ulster players and what they can produce, and like you know that can happen. Like it would have happened to me over the years where you mightn't have had a particularly good lead into Six Nations playing for your province and you didn't play well. But I mean. At the end of the day, Andy Farrell knows what they're capable of. And if, if they're in a system, which they are in Irish, and there's certain things going on, I mean, there has to be that element too that um, once they come into camp, they, they should have time to maybe see what they're about. But it doesn't help. It certainly doesn't help matters. Um, because Mike Lowry, like, he's a good, he's like an exciting player. He's a good distributor. And like, as I said, I, I don't think Hugo Keenan can, like, if we're going to be smart about trying to achieve at a World Cup I don't think 
maybe he should play every single game in the Six Nations. Like, um, that's just my opinion. And I am, I would be very different to a lot of people on this. But, um, because I'd be thinking more about trying to achieve at a World Cup as opposed to, um, having the same old <laughs> argument after. I'm sick of it. Like, yeah. um, so yeah, I think, um, potentially it might affect some just slightly, you know, but you're hoping they, they get the opportunity when, if they, if they get chosen into, into a camp, into a, like into a squad. Alison, great stuff. Thanks a for joining us this morning. Cheers. No hassle, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye. That's Alison Miller, Alison Miller there giving us her thoughts on the uh, depth chart. We'll do the halfback pairings soon enough. There is something there. Even you, you look at football, Harry Maguire, where you're in club, it's not going well, and then it's almost like a release valve is, is let off when you go to There's international duty. players, yeah. Yeah, 100%. So they might actually, regardless of form with, with the province, absolutely take something to the Six Nations. All right, 28 minutes past eight this morning. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish uh, to your day. Now, I'm delighted to say Andy Mitten is with us. Andy, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm okay, thank you. Um, it's been tradition over, I'd say, the last five years where we would talk to you in the aftermath of a succession of defeats or... A, tra- a transfer clearly not working out or, you know, significant difficulties. How is life for you at the moment? You must be, uh, you know, uh, d- different, happy. <laughs> yeah, aside from getting absolutely soaked to Old Trafford by more biblical rains last night before the Charlton Athletic uh, League Cup quarterfinal, I think like most Manchester United fans, I'm, I'm very happy uh, with the team which keeps on winning eight consecutive uh, wins, not conceding goals. With the manager, I was fortunate enough to have a a long sit down with him last month on a training camp in Spain. And I came out of that meeting with a a higher opinion than when I went in. He knows his stuff. He knows exactly what he wants. The players respect him. After the game last night, I spoke to Tom Heaton, the goalkeeper, who made his debut over 20 years after making his reserve team debut for Manchester United. And he talked about the, the... way in which Ten Hag manages, the players respect him. Basically, if you're not playing well, you get dropped. It doesn't matter who you are. And I think all the calls he's made have been the right ones. Last night was enjoyable, apart from the weather. Charlton Athletic, managed by a big Manchester United fan from Salford, uh, didn't disgrace themselves at all. They conceded two late goals, so the the 3-0 scoreline maybe flattered Manchester United a little bit. But five minutes in, I thought it was going to be 5-6-0. United looked like they were going to destroy Charlton. They had 10,000 uh, travelling fans. I love it that the cup throws up huge ticket allocations like that and lots of travelling fans. And because Manchester United have been drawn at home for eight consecutive cup matches now, the odds on that are 255 to 1. And it's definitely the travelling fans who are coming to Manchester United. I think United fans long for just one away game in the cup. It's been a while. It really has. Pre-COVID. Wow, I didn't realise that. Okay, Jesus. Yeah, every single time the the draw comes out and it's Manchester United at home. And it's freaky. I mean, 255 to 1. I'm not convinced that if United reach the final of this competition, which would... Give them a good chance of winning a first trophy since 2017. That they won't switch the game from Wembley to Old Trafford <laughs> because how are Manchester United going to cope by playing a cup match away from Old Trafford? Well, it will definitely be interesting to see, and I'm sure if you're the manager, you're absolutely delighted because um, you're building a fortress, you're building home form, you're building that sense of occasion, even around matches that aren't the bread and butter. And um, it's good; it's a really good opportunity for 
Ten Hag to become associated with a team that wins trophies early in his tenure, which is exactly what he needs, isn't it? Yeah, United have not won a trophy since 2017. The cup competitions allow him to use some fringe players. Uh, Kobe Manu, a Mancunian, made his uh, full debut last night. He did okay. Uh, Facundo Palestri came on. His first minutes since signing for Manchester United over two and a half years ago. He did really well. He was only on the pitch for 10 minutes. Marcus Rashford keeps on scoring. He's more prolific now than he, than he has ever been because up until two months ago, you wouldn't have described him as being a prolific goal scorer. Casemiro is one of the best players in the world and shows it week in, week out. Raphael Varane it didn't play against Charlton, but he shows why he's one of the best defenders in the world. So there are positives all over. You can always pick out possible negatives or areas for improvement. Uh, Anthony, for example, cost a lot of money. Not quite happening for him, even though he scored against Charlton. He has been scoring a couple of important goals. Jadon Sancho is out the firing line at the moment. Anthony Martial is at least fit, but he's not firing. And goal scorers tend to need to score goals before too long. Harry Maguire has not had the season he would have expected. I saw you mention him um, before this interview started, but he, he played last night. He did OK, but he's someone who's going to want to be playing football. But he's not in the starting eleven of Ten Hag's best Manchester United side at the moment so Manchester United as ever remain really interesting there's loads of storylines around the club games coming thick and fast there's a possibility that United could play six home games this month six I've never known anything like it it's rained at every one of them so far <laughs> when you produce a paper-based product like we do and have lads standing outside Old Trafford it's horrendous, honestly. It, it, it's so frustrating because we put so much time into it. You get to the ground. And last night, it was like someone just switched on a shower. It wasn't like Mancunian drizzle. It was just like standing there under a power shower. Anyway, enough of that. wonder what the odds are of that as well. All the rain at all the home games, never mind the fact that they have so many home games of late. Uh, Andy, we might pick apart a couple of the, the names that you just mentioned. Um, I remember an anecdote years ago when, when Wayne Rooney, I think, came back from, from injury and... Uh, some commentator or pundit said he was like a dog getting off a leash, chomping at the bit to, to play football. Marcus Rashford, um, I know he only came on for, for uh, the last uh, while last night, but two brilliant goals. Uh, looks looks like a man transformed, Andy. Yeah, he is. There's a couple of reasons for that. He had a full pre-season, and so only the second time that that's happened. So I spoke to him in Perth pre-season at the end of a successful pre-season tour, and he just said, I'm feeling miles better than I've ever felt before. And that's fed into this season. Two, a manager who improved, proves him and gives him confidence and has been strict with him several times this season, most recently against Wolves when he dropped him for an internal um, issue where Marcus overslept. And the good thing about the manager is he's consistent with everyone. doesn't matter whether you're Cristiano Ronaldo or Marcus Rashford. There are rules if you don't abide by them, you lose your place in the team. And that seems very fair to me. He's scoring. It's wonderful watching him when he's confident. I think he's scaled back a lot of the non-football stuff. And I think that's to his benefit. I like the fact that he did a lot of that non-football stuff, taking the British government to task. I think anyone who pushes for free school meals for kids who deserve them should be applauded. But it definitely became a distraction. And his form suffered massively. 
And when I speak to people at the club around him, and I ask what you've just asked me, and I ask people who see him every day, they tend to come back and say, he's smiling, smiling every day. He's enjoying his football. And I think if you're enjoying your job, and it's, you're fortunate enough to do a job like uh, be a footballer, and you're fit, you're not injured, because he had a lot of niggling injuries. And his confidence was helped by a decent World Cup. He'd not played for England for over a year. And he came back, he scored in, in Qatar. England didn't do too badly. They went out in that fantastic game against France. So Marcus Rashford is in a very good place mentally at the moment. And he's used that word, not me. Used it several times. He used it after scoring a header. You don't always associate Marcus Rashford with headers against West Ham just before the, the World Cup. So the fans are singing for him. Stratford M was singing for him last night. And it's been a great season so far for Marcus Rashford. If you ask me who Manchester United's player of the season have been so far, it would be him or, or Casimiro, with notable mentions to players like Lissandro Martinez, another new signing who's doing well. It's funny, the thing about Ten Hag when he was coming in was it was somebody who has a tactical vision, a technical vision for what he wants. The the man management side of stuff, obviously, it has to go hand in hand with that. And um, being a, a grown-up, being somebody who kind of has that long-term vision and, and something to fall back on is hugely helpful. So he obviously is, is marrying the, the uh, mentality of what everybody needs to do with a technical Instruction, making Rashford a better player, coaching him in a way. Is there something specific on that side, apart from the fact that Rashford is enjoying it? Hmm. Is there a change in role? Is there more responsibility given? Is there a, like a, 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 a tweak that has happened on the technical and tactical side? I think the absence of Cristiano Ronaldo is helping Marcus Rashford. He's no longer there in a dressing room where Cristiano was not always a positive factor. He can be one of the main men now. Eric Ten Hag has brought in coaches. It's not just about Eric Ten Hag. Really diverse coaching base. He's got a Japanese analyst. There's not many Japanese people working in the Premier League. He's got Benny McCarthy, a black South African coach. Benny felt that he wasn't getting the opportunities that he might have got if he was white. And a lot of black coaches will say the same. And Benny McCarthy's a really good coach. He did well in South Africa in management. And Eric Ten Hag brought him in. Benny speaks five languages. Benny scored big goals in Champions League matches. I mean, even not Manchester United out. Players like that, they like seeing someone who can still ping the ball and head the ball in training, who can wind them up and say, listen, boys, when you've won what I've won, come and have a serious chat with me. It helps with the mood. But on a more detailed basis, he can actually say, have you thought about doing this? Because he's been there and done that. So there's a real mixture of, of coaches there and they're good foils for Ten Hag they're not yes men they challenge him Mitchell van der Gaag is number two he's been a manager at big clubs he doesn't need the job he'll get another job tomorrow if he left Manchester United he's quite happy to challenge Eric Ten Hag so he's created a really good working environment it's a serious one he's a disciplinarian but I've spoken to people in that environment and there were times on the pre-season when they looked at the watches and it's suddenly half 11 at night and Ten Hag's like, have a beer, lads. We're working, we're doing a lot of work here. And that doesn't mean eight beers. That's not a pre-season tour story of old where they end up fighting and doing arm wrestling with American Marines. It's just relax a little bit. And a criticism of Louis van Gaal's Manchester United was that 
it was too strict. If you were 31 seconds late for a meeting, you'd get fined. And some players just walked away from that. So I'm really, really impressed by Ten Hag. And he's got a very difficult job because he's up against really well-resourced rivals, brilliant managers. One of them will come to Old Trafford on Saturday, Pep Guardiola. And Ten Hag last month, he talked about the, the strengthening he wants to make, the players that he wants to bring in. And mentioned a load of world-class footballers. And he's been fortunate to be back so far, but Manchester United don't have the money to bring in the players that he would ideally want at the moment. Nor do the clubs want to sell him. So he's not always going to get his own way. But in Martinez, in Anthony, in Casemiro, he's brought in three really, really good players. Anthony's probably the one who needs to prove himself most out of them. But Casemiro... I can't believe the number of Manchester United fans who doubted him. I'm like, this guy has consistently been one of the best players in the world for a team that wins everything. Why are you even doubting him? Ah, Madrid wouldn't let him go. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Right from the start. And I did his first interview when he came to Old Trafford. I want to come here. I want to play in England. I want to play for this club. Never mind the money. Clearly he's played well. I've won everything. I want to go again. And he's been true to that wonderful footballer. That's an interesting one as well, Andy, because <clears throat> I actually watched one of those interviews early on when, when, when he joined Casemiro. And one of the things he said was, uh, I think he was apologising for not being able to speak English yet and, and speaking about his desire to learn English and learn the culture of Manchester and England and, and really bed in with the supporters and, and the club that way. Kind of reminded me of, of what a lot of people were saying about Gianluca Vialli since his passing, that that was something as well he used to write down notes when he heard an English phrase or something he didn't understand. Casemiro has that as well, where he's not just joining a football club, he's, he's betting into the culture. Yeah, and so are his family, living into Manchester. I speak to, I speak to him quite several times and he's really enjoying himself. And I did that interview that you're talking about mm. and I'm always going to come at it from a fan perspective given my background. And the fact that he couldn't speak English meant that I got that gig because I could speak to him in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I've watched him several times in, in Brazil. And he was just, he knew loads about Manchester United. And I interview footballers every single day. And some of them stand out like, like he did. But of course, if you're not doing it on the pitch, none of that really counts for anything. With Viali, I share the sentiments that pretty much everyone in football did. Fortunate enough to spend a day with him a couple of years ago in Lisbon. Never felt so ugly in my life standing next to that man, <laughs> interviewing him. I sent my wife a picture. She's like, you look absolutely terrible. You need to, sort, you need to up your game here. And he, he stood there looking like the, the world's coolest man. It's, it's absolutely tragic that he's died at his age. And I remember him coming into the Premier League and going to Stamford Bridge and watching him. And he was two steps ahead. And Rude Hull it was as well, of most of them other Chelsea players. And it was great for the Premier League to, to have players like him. And now if you extend that on... You're getting there's more Brazilian internationals living in the northwest of England than in Brazil now. This would have been unheard of to me 10, 20, 30 years ago, but it's happening all the time now. And the, the Premier League, it just becomes more and more powerful. I watch a lot of La Liga football and can see that it's struggling to go against the, the Premier League. But Casimiro, when he combines with Varane, they both won everything at Real Madrid, mm. multiple Champions League winners. And it shows. I think Manchester United fans were a bit scarred because 
when Radamel Falcao came in, when Angel Di Maria came in, didn't really work out for them. But these two are absolutely brilliant. And if you add another two of that level of players, you suddenly look at a, a team that can properly challenge because Manchester City are still ahead of Manchester United in the league. But then when Casemiro plays, United don't really lose matches. It'll be really interesting on Saturday. I still think City will be favourites, but I'd love United to give them a proper game. Not just win on the counter-attack, because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had some very good results against Manchester City, home and away. But take it to them. Like United took the game to Chelsea in October. Not seen that for a long time. Manchester United attacking away from home against the top team. I realise now that me describing Chelsea as a top team is open to interpretation, but that's how it felt at the time. Um, you might soon have to, Andy, stand beside the uh, six foot six inch tall, blonde and handsome Wout Weghorst if he uh, does clinch this signing uh, for United. It seems fairly close, verbal agreement reached, if you're to believe what you read. Um, a bit of a mixed reaction from United fans, it's fair to say. It seems like a maybe a short-term solution to a long-term problem, albeit it'll only be a loan deal. But um, what do you make of this one if it does come through? I think your summation there is, is really accurate. Uh, Ten Hag has got a compromise. He's not going to sign Mbappe this month. Manchester United have spent the money. Rivals are not going to sell top centre forwards in the January transfer window unless that forward actively wants to get out, like Aubameyang did to Barcelona a year ago. He wanted to leave. There'd been a breakdown there. Arsenal wanted short of him. That's not happening this year. So I think the fans with this one will say more power to the manager's elbow. They'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He knows what he's doing. He's been good with his signing so far. The statistics of the player are good. Didn't work out for him at Burnley, but you can't really hold that against him too much. Made a big impression in the World Cup. He's a goal scorer. And Manchester United need another striker. They need another option. He would have played last night against Charlton Athletic. He's a tall target man. Manchester United do not have a player like that at the moment. And if you think that United took Cristiano Ronaldo out of the squad, Mason Greenwood out of the squad, Edinson Cavani out of the squad, you free attackers down uh, on, on a year ago. Facundo Palestre deserves a mention. He's a full player. He came on for the last 10 minutes against Charlton. Really, really good. Very fast, very tricky. So that's a potential future positive. And of course, uh, Alejandro Garnacho, but uh, had a really good run out against Charlton, influential throughout the game. He's still raw, still got to improve, but very exciting player. And the fans are getting off the seats when they're watching him. And that stadium's full every week. Never known anything like this either. The league games were always full. The Champions League games were always full. But the League Cup games and the Europa League games are full. There's a huge demand to watch live football. And it's not just at Manchester United. There's non-league teams around Manchester and league clubs. Clubs like... Stockport County, Bolton Wanderers, getting massive crowds. It's amazing. Andy, we leave it there. Great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you. That's Andy Mitten there, the publisher of United We Stand. It's eight forty-seven. You're watching OTBAM. Thanks very much for being part of our journey today. You can get us at youtubecom forward slash off the ball. You can follow us at off the ball AM on Twitter as well. It's time for the first one of these this year. It's virtual insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! John Duggan. Jarrett and Shane. 
How are we doing? Missed Good morning, Tim. That sting was... I've uh, forgotten how, how much I loved it. The, the warm Don, embrace. The Donnie Darko. Mm. Um, Marshmallow Man. So, uh, happy new year to you all. And the reason why we're doing this virtual insanity is because it's worked over the last couple of years. So, in 2021, we had a profit on our um, golf tipping of 46.5%. And then last year, we had a profit of 25%. So, the concept is we have a virtual thousand... And we put bets on the PJ Tour and the majors every week for about uh, 40 weeks until the end of November. And then we see where the 1,000 has got to by the end of the year. So last year, we'd winners at 80 to 1, 66 to 1, 25 to 1 twice, and 16 to 1 twice. You'll have your losers. And it's all about being conservative and trying to maybe pick a few golfers each week and trying a bit of fun with it. And if you're going to have a real punt on it, obviously don't gamble more than you can afford. So we're going to start off with the Sony Open in Hawaii at YLA Country Club, where we'd all love to be, but we're not. So we're going to pick four golfers this week. And the headline one is Corey Connors from Canada. He's from a place called Le Stole in Ontario. Don't know if he's any Kerry blood in him. <laughs> uh, but he's a 22 to 1 shot for four each way. Corey Connors has got a really good form of the course. He's been three times in the top 12 out of four starts. Um, it's funny out of this tournament, of the 24 times the Tournament of Champions has been played the week before, at Kapalua, also in Hawaii, 17 of the 24 times the winners come from the week before. It just shows to me that Rust can be taken off a player, and Corey Connors did play last week and closed with a 67, 600 par round. So he's got the cobwebs gone. Uh, he is a brilliant ball striker, which you need to be around the tight par 70 YLA Country Club. Um, his putting is a weakness, but he does put well on Bermuda Greens, where he does only win at the Texas Open. So, Kari Connors, four each way, 22 to 1, the headline tip. The three other players for two each way, uh, we've got Keith Mitchell at 35 to 1. Once again, loves YLA Country Club, seventh last year, four top uh, 25s and five starts at the Sony Open. Really, really good off the tee, so he can attack the course from the uh, fairway with the second shots. Uh, had a top 10 in November in Houston. And Keith Mitchell is a player that Rory McIlroy has complimented in the past 31 years of age. I think he could get a second win on the tour this week at 35 to 1. Christian Bazadenhout of South Africa is a 28-year-old who I think will win on the PGA Tour this year. He's 45 to 1 for two each way. Played very well in South Africa in November, a tie for fifth and a tie for third. On his debut here last year was tied 17th. Brilliant short game. Once again, not that long off the tee, but he doesn't need to be at this tight track. And he's got a great short game, sixth in the putting stats last year and first in scrambling on the limited starts in the PGA Tour this year for a tough mental guy, Christian Bazadenhout, who has won four times in the DP World Tour. And the last player at 80 to 1 for two each way, Nick Hardy, the Hardy Boys. Uh, we have Nick Hardy, who only played twice in the PGA Tour a couple of years ago. And one of them was a start here where he's tied 14th. He was a rookie then last season after a really good uh, stint on the Corn Ferry Tour when he was, what, second in ball striking. Uh, but he played pretty poorly last year. Then regrouped and went on the Corn Ferry Tour, got a second-place confidence-boosting finish, then turned to the U.S. Open at, at Brookline and was contending through halfway. Then he was fifth in uh, Sanderson Farms Championship in October. I think with a second run now, Nick Hardy, uh, who's a tee-to-green machine, can have a much more uh, bigger impact this season on the PGA Tour. So Nick Hardy, 80 to 1. Uh, Christian Bazadon had 45 to 1. Keith Mitchell, 35 to 1. All to each way. And the headline tip for the first virtual insanity of 2023 is Kari Connors to bring it home for Lestole. 22 to 1 for four each way, guys. Up Canada. Keith Mitchell, of course, trying to bring it home for the Queen Vic in EastEnders. Sounds like he's straight out of EastEnders. Was it not Grant Mitchell? It is, yeah, but just sounds like a character and, and name Phil, the, 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 the long lost brother. I, I don't know if there is a Keith. There, it, could, it could be the long, the lost, long brother. lost brother. The long lost brother, yeah. Exactly. Now, he does have a full head of hair in him. Oh, okay. So maybe Unlike not. Unlike the other lads. Not a blood brother.
No. Well, you know, sometimes the products can look different, you know. Was there a Charlie Cray? There was Reggie and Ron, Ron Cray, and then there was a Charlie Cray. Right. Yeah. Un- unconnected. Mm. Uninvolved, was he? I don't know. Is this real? No, there was a brother. I know there was a right. brother. Uh, I don't know whether he was involved in, in nefarious activities or organized crime or anything like that, but um, there was definitely there was a, another brother, right. as it were, Charlie Cray. As, as a Non-twin twin. Yeah. Um, to, for anybody who is yes. just uh, getting introduced to this, right, um, the prices, you've got to shop around for the best price? You That's do. You've got to shop around. So bookmakers offer different types of, of, of value. So some of them will offer a fifth of the odds. There's 144 players in this event. Some will offer them a fifth of the odds each way. Each way. So each way bet is two bets. It's to, to win bet and a place bet to get in the top eight. Some bookmakers might offer better odds for your golfer to finish in the top five. But you should be going as many places as you can. So you'd have bookmakers like Paddy Power, William Hill, Betfair, Betway, Ladbrokes will all go to eight places. But there's a website called oddschecker.com, which will give you a suite of prices and you can pick the best price out of that. And that's what I try to do here. There's a podcast for this now. You can check out the podcast every week. It's live at the OTV Sports Podcast Network right now. It's also on the website at otvsports.com. You can get the full rationale there. So you can, there are various ways of checking out this uh, virtual strategy every week. On Tuesdays, Wednesdays, we'll have it all up for you. And obviously, we'll do the majors as well. But yeah, you do have to shop around for the best value. Um, you could have Rory McIlroy one week at 10 to 1, and then you could have him with 16 to 1 with another bookmaker. Because what bookmakers are doing is they're forming opinions based on their own odds compilers. They have their own people in. And they're trying to bribe you to come and sign up with them as well. So yeah. some, some week they're going to offer yeah. a big price on, on a golfer. And um, if that is your fancy that week, then you should uh, be opportunistic. Yes, and, and also around the majors, you can get massive value. Like the Masters has, what, realistically 60, 70 players that can contend. They can be going, going 10, 12 places. So you've got to shop around. That's why, like, Cheltenham, all these uh, big events, they try to get you in. But then, once they get you in, you, you'd also then, then you need to be discerning around it, you know? That's the last thing I wanted to talk about. You just need to be disciplined about this. You, 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 yeah. you pick big odds at the 80 to 1s. It's not yeah. a throwaway. Um, several times over the last couple of years, some of those guys have... Cont- competed and some of them have actually won yes and uh, if you can get even it's all about forget about winning and losing right I've had 11 winners over the last two years but the majors last year I had nothing I had a disaster in the majors but it's all about profit it's not about winning and losing like what I'm trying to do is I start with a thousand I'm betting 20 this week so you're hoping by March April you might be around the 900 1100 mark you don't want to be fluctuating too far from the thousand you don't want to be at 500 no because then you're chasing it. Yeah, then you're chasing. Then you're then you're into emotional betting, where rather than into having a bit of crack with it, because it is fun. You have four days run for your money, and imagine on a Sunday evening you might have two lads of those of those of those four in the hunt, and it's a bit of crack. And that's what it should be. It shouldn't be more serious than that. Yeah, and stick to what you've decided is your stake for the week. Don't be yeah, randomly going, oh, yeah. I like the odds in this guy, and then I'll well, this guy, and then all of a sudden yeah. it's like... If you're getting involved, getting involved in, in running golfing, it's, it's a tricky, it's a, it's a dangerous concept because weather can change, all these things can change, and you can get really messed up by the fact that on, on Friday you think, wow, oh, it's, it's, it's going really well for me. And then it's hard for golfers to shoot four very good rounds together. Often they'll shoot maybe two, two and a half good rounds. And it's how they limit the damage of the other rounds, turning a 75 into a 70. And that's what wins golf tournaments. John, the, uh, the scarf is fantastic. You, yeah. you do look like a thespian character. And yeah. uh, I'm just after learning something from <clears throat> our producer column that shook me to my core, but also right. doesn't surprise me in okay. a weird way, you were in the Gaiety Theatre School of Acting and you appeared in a play about a serial killer. Yeah, I did. Tell yeah. us more. Yeah, so um, 
Now, Colm only asked me this. I, w- I wasn't volunteering this information at all. So It was the scarf that gave it away. I, he, he said I was a thespian, so I got the scarf for Christmas, go. and uh, I'm trying to use different props, whether it's a beard or a scarf. It's almost like part oh, of the my... the beard's gone. Just part, part of my, my, my big disguise for 2023. Okay. Um, no, I, I just did a, I did a couple of nights a week for two years at the Gaiety School in my early 20s, and I have to say, my broadcasting really helped my acting, and then my acting really helped my broadcasting. It was one of the best things I ever did, uh, just in terms of um, just personal development. Great fun, great people in the in the course, and we just had, we would do, we would learn a load of things each week, um, just about framing, about aesthetics, about learning lines, about doing plays, about uh, you know, there's various, um, I suppose, components of what acting was about. And then at the end of the uh, year, you go and you'd, you'd perform in front of three or four hundred people at the Project Theatre. So I did a, a David Mamet play. I did an excerpt from that where I was um, not a good guy, and uh, I took a knife to a person. Uh, a lady in in the, in the scene, and I would lean in like that, and in front of everybody in the, in the audience, and I pull back, and then there was all blood coming all out of her stomach. Now, obviously, it was it was red dye. It was um, we had a big bag, a big pouch of red dye, in her jumper, and whatever way you did it, <laughs> when I when I when I came back uh, from her, like it was just like all this like red dye everywhere. So that's it was just kind of the, the fake props. It was all kind of funny stuff, you know. So, but obviously, you know, the serial killer was only a uh, a fictitious thing. A villain, yeah, yeah. And then it was another one. I was selling bananas. I was a banana seller. Uh, it was like a Jewish um, uh, play. Uh, so you, you, you have various different uh, things everybody would do, and uh, you know, people have gone on to. Um, some people acted in Fair City out of it, and some people, uh, obviously, the people who were doing like. I mean, you talk about Colin Farrell. I think Colin Farrell studied there. Picked up a uh, Golden Globe last night. Yeah, as well, that's Colin. it. That's it. So. Uh, no, it's, it's a hard graft and anybody who's made it in acting has, has really done well to make it because, as we all know, it's a difficult profession to make it in. You look like someone who could quite easily play an Italian mobster or maybe someone in a, in a Bond film stroking a cat who slowly turns the chair around. Uh, I don't know, I'm just getting that vibe the, from you. The, right the only time I ever saw that was in the cartoon Inspector Gadget and you never actually saw the guy. I don't know if you remember watching that chair when you were young. <laughs> I, mean, we, I, I don't think they had it on RTE. And, and it was my mate's definitely had it but I didn't yeah um, I've seen it since of course but, uh, I can't believe this news alright we gotta go yeah we gotta go we're out of time here <laughs> John good stuff <laughs> um, right, more virtual insanity on uh, John Duggan's Twitter feed and of course at Off The Ball on Twitter as well and he'll be with you on Saturday afternoon on Off The Ball on News Talk a reminder OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, right uh, Barry Kiernan says if they had six forwards with the same ruthless calibre as the six backs they'd have won half them All-Irelands that's the Mayo conversation uh, Gerard is a good comparison he liked to choke when it counted like in that Champions League final famously <laughs> yeah. says to Francie Brady unfair um, Shane that does protest too much says shifty lad cheering me up in the most miserable week of the year as I said yesterday this is going to be in the highlights of the year uh, Lee Keegan's Lee Keegan says Ian a great man and player but Kieran MacDonald is the Mayo goat Oh. Uh, we didn't actually get into the the uh, Kieran McDonald Lee Keegan comparison, but uh, we have plenty of time for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jess Kelly is with us. Jess, hi. Very analog. Yeah. Retro. Mm-hmm. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Um, we spoke about the VR and metaverse mm-hmm. last week. Yeah. Um, in connection with uh, CES and then lo and behold Sony and Manchester City have a, a deal in place yeah it's really interesting It's this is just a proof of concept but it shows and it kind of reinforces all the points we were making last week about how 
this type of technology, whether you like it or loathe that is coming to the world of sport. And the big clubs, like a lot of the big clubs, are further down the road perhaps than Man City already are. But in this video, uh, which is published by Sony, it showcases the virtual Etihad Stadium. It shows fans running around the pitch. It shows fans connecting and uh, getting further insight into what happens in some of the games. And I think it's going to appeal to the people who are nerdy about sport and want to get you know further insight and all that kind of jazz, but also the more social uh, aspect of it. I was listening to Joe on the Sunday Papers and he was talking to Sinead O'Carroll and somebody else whose name escapes me about the entertainment side of games and how you know they're blasting music and they're kind of killing the art of conversation and so on. And I think Metaverse is going to provide an opportunity for fans to interact in a way that they actually want to interact rather than for being forced to listen to whatever playlist is being chosen or not being able to talk at all because the music is so loud. So I think this is kind of, it's opening a world of opportunities, but it's just, as we said last week, it's about bringing people along so they're not scared of it. Yeah, so we've just rolled the video there if you're uh, listening on podcast and um, they'll show a goal and then they'll show footage of the goal in the metaverse being scored and then you can position yourself as uh, Erling Haaland to see what the goal was like being scored. It looks a little bit to me like uh, a cartoon replay. Do you know, it's... Yeah. I don't... For replay. I'm I'm still waiting to see the bit that takes you beyond... A FIFA replay, exactly. I, but I think that's going to that's going to come over time. But to sort of reinforce the point, the production of all of this stuff is crazy money. And if you think of the development that we've seen in recent years with having you know drone shots and all of the different angles um, of cameras placed around, and they all enhance the experience, right? Yeah, I definitely um, and like even so, like three or four years ago in the Super Bowl. The, the live cameras would be in the in the celebration after the score and now it's you see it all the time mm-hmm. but the first time you see that you're like oh, I'm on the pitch with the players this yeah. is amazing and I see the benefit of that and I see the benefit of spider cam and I see the benefit of the, the cameras this I can't envisage now that's obviously because I'm an outlad and maybe my kids are like oh die you're missing the whole point here and I might be old man yells at cloud but I, I, well metaverse cloud yeah or else this is the 3D technology that had a massive launch a decade ago that was going to revolutionise the sporting experience and it's coming to a living room near you and dies to death it was shite yeah, look, I think that is the fear factor. But as I understand it and the stuff that I've read, it would be that in years to come, it won't be the cartoony version. It won't be the FIFA video game version. It will make it feel as though you are on the pitch and you'll be able to rewind and stand next to the player who's taking a penalty to kind of take in the full scale of things. And you'll be able to choose what angle you see th- certain things at. But it will be that realistic uh, feel. It'll be like you're on the pitch. But the issue with that is to do that in real time so if they were to try and do this for a match this weekend right to try and do that in real time the files would be massive and the processing would be massive and the the jumping from you know behind the goal to the halfway line to whatever it would require serious processing speeds and I think the, the thing that I got from the Sony Manchester City proof of concept is that they had fans interacting with their phones there was no VR headsets there at all and I think the approach, as I understand it, is that they're trying to give people access to better quality entertainment experiences from watching sport, regardless of, you know, if they have a 1700 euro headset or they have a 300 euro smartphone. And the level of experience that you have depends on, you know, the level of technology you have, but you won't be excluded entirely if you don't choose the VR model. 
But I do think it's going to be a while before we get to that sort of high-end thing where you are standing on the penalty spot with somebody and you can look all around you and all the rest. But I think that's the goal, and I think it's good to see these proofs of concept to see where we could potentially end up. That's true, and um, that pushes the boundaries a good Mm. bit. It, It does feel a lot like sometimes this is the tech companies deciding that this is what we want you guys to do, especially like because uh, Meta are pushing the metaverse because like uh, it's one individual's giant folly, mm. right? Then it can feel like, well, we're going to ram this in until you until you all love it. <laughs> Whereas actually, it's it's user generated stuff that is has in in sport in the past, like fantasy. You know, fantasy has taken over American sport and. Uh, fantasy football in England still absolutely massive yeah. like that was because it was peer-to-peer and people spoke about it and it kind of evolved that way as opposed to the, the league or one central power saying you're all going to do this thing but you're going to love it I think that, look you could absolutely argue that Meta is pushing the metaverse uh, but I think if you look at the trends and how people have watched like Twitch for example people or even Twitter like people don't watch things just by themselves anymore they want that communal experience mm. and so rather than you sitting on the couch watching the TV with your phone in your hand just putting out tweets and seeing what comes back you could select who's in your virtual living room with you or you can kind of curate your experience a little bit more and I think that's the opportunity of it so I think you could absolutely look at it as just a company saying this is what we're doing but I think it's got like loads of the stuff that we're going to talk about over the next five years is going to fail and it's going to be embarrassing and it's going to be a money drain I think it's the stuff that comes out of that. It's the the lessons you learn from failing that I think will be the next iteration that your kids will use and that will actually make these companies money. I just think we have to go through some cringy innovations before we get to the good stuff. Yeah, I feel like, like even watching that video, like it all feels a little bit Black Mirror and dystopian now, but I guess in three or four years it's going to be just normal. Well, people would have said that though about like doing an Instagram live from your bedroom, True, yeah. which you guys did for however many years during COVID <laughs> to get your job done. So I think all technologies, when they come down the track, seem bonkers. Mm. And you know, in the ten years or so I've been talking about tech, there have been so many things that have been promised to be the next big thing, and then they disappear off the face of the earth. I think we are going to have some form of virtual world and it may not be the metaverse. The metaverse could crash and burn. Like All the controversies with meta and all the rest, we don't know how they're going to pan out. Somebody is going to swoop in and create a virtual world. And I think the big mistake that any company could make is by, by making their VR world closed off so that, you know, if we wanted to talk in VR, we all had to have, say, PS5s or we all had to have Apple's VR headset or, you know, even the Quest. There has to be that sort of interconnectivity to ensure then that you're not leaving people who don't want to spend €1,700 on a particular headset behind. Um, so I think it's just getting started. And I know some people are going to absolutely hate this notion, but... I think there will be some clubs who do it well that you, even if you don't like that football club, you would be willing to pay, say, 50 quid to have a VR experience and walk around their stadium or get into the dressing room or whatever it is. It's going to be that extra added value because we know that, you know, maybe Shane's age and younger, like the attention spans aren't there and the wants. Yes, thank you. And look, you're what did, much what did you say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Turn up your hearing aid there. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be about keeping people's attention, keeping brand loyalty and making sure that there is an entertainment value. Like when I was in the US a few years ago, 
like years and years ago, with first time I went to Boston, we went to a basketball game, and like every three minutes there were people coming out shooting T-shirts into the crowd, and there were dancing mascots, and it, the whole thing was a production. And I think other sports, particularly here in Europe, are probably looking at the US model, thinking, okay, how can we keep the attention span? of the younger audience who are interested in sport but also want that entertainment value. And so it's going to be a bit of a mishmash, but you will have people saying that it takes away from the game and blah, 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 blah. But it's coming. Yeah, Okay. Um, The other thing that we wanted to talk about was uh, Netflix and um, how everybody is probably getting served games on their algorithm at the moment. Yeah, and this goes back to what we were just talking about in terms of the popularity of gaming and the fact that, you know, it's not enough just to be sitting down watching something on Netflix now. As you're scrolling through, maybe you open a game and you play a little game of that. They obviously have all the Netflix originals, so Stranger Things and so on. And what they're doing now is creating a row of games that appear. So if you're not sure what to watch and you like Stranger Things, you can go into the game for a little while and you can play. But Netflix were kind of first out of the traps with this. Now we have Paramount Plus doing it. Amazon is doing it. Um, I think Disney Plus is working on stuff as well. So gaming isn't this little niche thing over here anymore. Like there were stats from the UK that show that gaming was the biggest home entertainment spend last year. People are investing their money into whether it's consoles, whether it's downloadable content for if you're playing Candy Crush, whatever it is, there's money to be made here. And we know from stats that were out last year that showed that Netflix dropped in terms of users. And there are so many players now coming out of the traps in terms of streaming services. So it's about offering that added value to the user. And I think when we see, like Amazon has done a deal with some of the PlayStation games. Amazon is not a super popular platform here, Amazon Prime. But I guarantee you there will be people who would want to play the TV-based version or the app-based version of something like God of War. So they would sign up just for access to that, which sounds like good news for us, the consumer, that we're getting more for our money. But I just think it means that prices are going to go up. And if you are, if you like certain content, you're going to have to continue to pay for each of these platforms. Like we worked it out on News Talk last year. I think it's if you want the top tier of all the streaming platforms that were there at the time, which I think was six of them, you'd be spending 1,400 euro a year just on your subscriptions for TV. If that continues to go up, a time is going to come where we're going to go, look, I have to call it. And especially then if you're paying for metaverse experiences and all the rest, it's going to get super expensive. And so I'm interested to see, you know, who leads the charge on this and what actually takes off. That's before you pay for your broadband to get it all piped Mm -hmm. in. And your telly. Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, bonkers. Amazon Prime's uh, user interface is the best. Uh, Apple's is the worst. Uh, Yeah, I, I am really lazy. I just use voice control for all of my stuff now. I just... Does it work for Apple? Like... With Apple, you've got to search every time. It doesn't make any sense, (laughs) Apple TV. Yeah, I don't spend a whole host of time on Apple TV, but any time I've used it, I usually, because again, I use the Chromecast as we spoke about last week, so I can just tell my phone to do things and then the TV will do it. Uh, And also Sky Glass is great at that as well. Sky Glass is really good because the voice control thing is built into the remote and it can then scour the entire um, library of stuff that's on your telly. Sky Glass is definitely the best of the things that you're watching on it then. I find Amazon Prime is actually, for all of the crap that they get about their various terrible user interfaces on all of their platforms yeah. their TV one is the best uh, the Kildare accent is so generic that you'd imagine Google and Apple and all these guys would be able to pick it up Flat. fairly easily Flat. Flat. 
a flat thigh accent. Anything else, Jess? Uh, that's kind of it for this week. We're going to have, uh, we got a bit of insight into some of the big titles coming down the tracks over the next little while. So as soon as those titles come in, and of course we are waiting the arrival of the PSVR 2, uh, we will get to grips with that and then I'm sure have some reviews for you. And then um, we can have video of us running into, um, oh, yeah. into the wall. I cannot wow. wait. Good stuff. Uh, thanks very much. That's uh, New Stocks Jess Kelly in partnership with Virgin Media, bringing your A game with 99.9% broadband reliability. We are um, going to be back in a moment. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. The Club Championship show with the slightly earlier time of 10 past 10 this morning. Sonia Sullivan's OTB Gold. Koi gig with the Emma Mitchell interview at 3 o'clock. We're going to talk about more uh, about that in a moment. Capturing Sporting Moments is our retro panel at 4. Manu Petit at 6 and then Joe Malloy is live with Wednesday Night Rugby and plenty more besides from 7 o'clock tonight. Make sure you follow off the ball across our social channels and subscribe to the OTV Podcast Network for the best in latest sports content. Now, as I said, during the ad break, you're going to hear a clip from the latest episode of the Koi Gig Podcast. This has blown up this week. The Reading captain, Emma Mitchell, was the special guest and she recounted being unable to run and kick a ball at the same time after giving birth because she would urinate. Mitchell asked for more research into safe return to playing for players after having a baby. The interview has subsequently been covered in the Telegraph and the Times in the UK. After the break, Kathleen's going to join us to talk through the interview's impact. Testing one two one two GMAC one two GMAC's morning motivational moment or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. Good morning, Graham McDowell here. Uh, GMAC, as you guys like to call me. Some um. Wednesday motivation for you now. Happy hump day. With the new days comes new strength and new thoughts. Stay strong if you're trying dry January, folks. It's uh, it's just not for me. My biggest weakness? <laughs> Definitely a cold beer. I, uh, I just can't resist them. That's your Wednesday motivation. See you tomorrow. GMAX morning motivational moment. Or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. OTB Sports Rugby. One name to win the World Cup. If I was throw one out right now, I would always go back to South Africa. France win the first game against New Zealand. I think that sets the tone. I think they're the best team in the world. I'm going to go Ireland. I'm going to get off the fence once and for all. This is our best chance to win. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Training and stuff of getting back that's another thing like an issue that clubs aren't educated in that field are they on how to train um a very new mom to get back to to fitness right it's all still a little bit up in the air well there's no really like any research on it especially for like footballers because i think they've done like a a lot of stuff on like running and just like getting back running but obviously we've got as contact then trying to kick a ball at the same time when you've got really weak like pelvic floor and stuff, you basically just pee yourself, girls, I'm not going to lie. Um, so, yeah, like, we almost, like, I was quite, we were quite lucky that, well, I was quite lucky that we are kind of, because there's no any research, like, in every single pregnancy is completely different. If you had the C-section or you had a natural birth or, like, whatever, or then everybody, like, everybody's recovery is going to be so different. So even if there was research, there'd only be so much that it's going to be applicable to, like, you as the returning athlete who's been the mum so yeah that was quite tough because every single day it was just like well how are you feeling today like you could do this you could do that so yeah there's no really like any like blueprint when it comes to the rehab side of stuff I think when it comes to the ton of football anyway so definitely have to like invest more into that side of the game yeah because you wouldn't have teammates to bounce it off you're really looking at your friends outside of sport who've gone through it like 
can't have those chats every day in training because no like literally nobody like I remember when I first went back and I was sitting in the cupboard basically pumping as well because like I was still breastfeeding at the time and like just that kind of experience like the girls are like what are you doing and I'm like oh I've got to do this and they're just I didn't know sometimes they didn't really want to engage in the conversation because you can't like they've not got the experience to even speak about it so you're just kind of like like plodding along yourself just trying to get stuff done OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs razor with exfoliating bar so Kathleen is with us uh, Kathleen you, you talked to us yesterday a bit about um, the Koi Gig pod it's, um, it's gone global uh, Emma McCandy's interview with you guys has been picked up it's in the London Times and Telegraph um, both in print and online um, writing captain I faked injury to hide pregnancy is the headline in the Times and then in the Telegraph it's Reading did not support Captain after birth of baby. Uh, speaking off the ball's Koi Gig podcast, McCandy, Scotland's captain, described feeling left to the side by her club during her pregnancy and postpartum. Um, I, I think you expected there to be a response to the interview, given just how honest and open Emma was about her experience. But um, the FA have been forced to come out and, and issue a statement. Yeah, we really hoped that it would be picked up like we knew how important a story it was and I suppose the thing was getting it out there so that people actually listened like I don't know if you looked at some of the quote tweets on the Telegraph article for it but there was just so many people mm. raging at how inappropriately she was treated in the whole situation um, like a lot of people over here may, might not know Emma they might not know follow Reading as much but obviously the game over in England has grown so much and the fact that we actually forced the FA into a response I think you have it there in front of you but um, the fact that we actually forced them into a response just shows how important this piece was because they don't just respond to anything and I suppose the next step now will be to see if Reading actually do come out and say yeah, we messed up because the whole thing is that if their license is linked to having certain things in place, such as like proper care for players and like giving them proper maternity care and making sure that they are um, apply uh, like keeping to the standards that the FA has said, this is like the very minimum you have to do. And from what we've seen from Emma's experience, we're not entirely sure that the minimum has even been met. And then beyond that, the minimum just isn't good enough in this situation. So the, the minimum is a 14-week full-pay maternity and um, an FA spokes, spokesman said a new minimum standard maternity policy was introduced before the start of the 2022-2023 season. It's at the discretion of clubs who directly employ the players if they choose to go above and beyond the reg, uh, regulations set out within our policy. Um, that's the 14-week and, and um, she was making the point, who's even come up with that? Surely not someone who has played football and had a baby. Is that a man? Um, so... Uh, it's the FA in some ways washing their hands uh, the clubs it's up to the clubs essentially well completely but that's even what Emma said in the interview that we had she was like you know if you're at an Arsenal or a Chelsea or a City that's that's great you know you probably have the facilities there to actually look after a child or like I know over in the US some clubs actually whenever say a team is travelling to um, a different club and like sometimes they have to travel out of state they like hire a nanny to travel with the team and then there's a specific room in the stadium all the kids can go there and then if like the player is breastfeeding or if they just like want to see their kid after the game whatever it is the kid is there and so many of those players have talked about the peace of mind it gives them and like the ability for them to actually go out and play and not be worrying about their kid or thinking 
oh gosh, how am I going to get home in time after the game to breastfeed or whatever it might be. So like, the point is this shouldn't just be left up to clubs. I, I understand that there has to be some sort of minimum, but if you're given birth and after 14 weeks, that's like just over three months, you have to start running, you have to start kicking, you have to start, you know, taking tackles. Emma said it in our interview. She's like, I like to hit people when I'm on the pitch. She's not exactly the sort of player who stands back. You know, she likes to get involved. You can't do that after 14 weeks. Like it's insane to imagine it. And another thing she said as well was like, because her contract was so tied up with, um, playing and you know that's how she gets all her money she felt like even when she was pregnant she had to be training all the way up to like eight months I think she said she kept training until and she was like it's not like there was actually a program in place for me or things I was supposed to be doing I was just turning up to the field every day and sitting on a bike by myself while the rest of the team was out playing so you know there's so many different elements and I think it's really unfair of the FA to say it should be up to the clubs because you you're going to get such a disparity in that situation and this isn't really something we can let there be a disparity in because it's so integral to like a lot of people's lives do you think that um there's an opportunity here for this to be a bit of a turning point and that actually rather than just brushing under the carpet that the conversation has started now like so the the two of the biggest newspapers in england have picked up on this story and it has started a sparked a massive conversation I hope so. Like, we kind of had the same conversation a couple of years ago when Alex Morgan had her baby. And, like, there's actually such even a disparity in yesterday's reporting. So at the start of the day, it was announced that Melanie Leopold's um, who plays for Chelsea, who's been on maternity leave for the last eight months, had just signed a new contract with Chelsea until 2026. The whole press release went into like how they were reintegrating her to the club and how this was like really important process for them and they wanted to make sure those structures were in place. Now, obviously, like I don't know the ins and outs of Melanie's experience, but it seemed like a really positive thing from Chelsea. And then a couple of hours later, our podcast comes out and you have this sort of you know, story which is probably quite opposite to, it seemed, the approach that Chelsea was taking. So I don't worry about it in the upper levels as much because I think those conversations are happening, even just around fertility and pregnancy in general. It's the lower clubs, and I worry that the FA will let this sink because they'll see that there are other more important causes that they have to follow. And Well, that is, look, all of uh, sports... All of the um, rights that players have won over the years have been won by strike or the threat of strike or militancy as opposed to expecting wealthy club owners to do things that are uh, injurious to their pocket. But it's interesting, like in the interview as well, um, Emma says, you know, even when she came back, because of the age range of players and stuff, it was actually really difficult to find even like players in the club who could relate to her experience because, you know, some of them might have been in their early 20s or maybe some were just entirely focused on the career in front of them rather than having a family just now. And she said even in that aspect, she felt really lonely within the club. Like she said, she would be sitting in a cupboard breastfeeding, which again, why was she sitting in a cupboard? Why wasn't there like a dedicated room for her to go to and do that? Um, and the girls would kind of just be like, oh, 
well, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? We don't understand. And if you're not of a certain age or if you don't, if you haven't had that experience of a woman who's given birth, then it might be all new to you. So I think it's uh, it's education through multiple levels. And that's why I think it's important to like bring in the entire conversation around fertility, pregnancy, playing. If you don't finish your playing career until you're 35, 36, 37, how much does the club owe you then in terms of the time you have given up your career to the club and maybe like not had a family in that time in a way that you normally would or what if you get have more trouble getting pregnant at that stage because you are that little bit older there's just so like this is a can of worms and I'm hoping that we're kind of like eking it open a little bit and that we can keep reporting on this um and obviously if there's any Irish athletes out there as well who have had similar experiences we'd love to hear from you um you can always get us on twitter or the Koi Gig pod at offtheball.com. We're always looking to tell more of these sort of stories. All right, good stuff. That podcast is available to listen wherever you get your podcast. The best place, of course, is on the Goalout app or on the OTB Sports app. Kathleen, good stuff. Thanks a million. It's uh, 23 minutes past nine this morning. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. I'm delighted to welcome Cristiano Fitzgerald to the show. Cristiano, good morning to you. How are you? Hello, good morning. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. What What part of the world are you in? You're in Portugal at the moment, are you? Yeah, yeah I'm in Portugal now. It's um, it's a circuitous route to get there. Your upbringing is one of the great uh, Irish uh, diaspora stories. Um, so you're in Portugal at the moment. I think I'm right in saying you grew up in Singapore. Is that correct? Yeah, I was born in Singapore and I lived there for four or five years. So, yeah. And where after that? Well, I was born in Singapore, and then I moved to London when I was young, like one or two years old, and my younger brother was born. And then we moved to San Diego, and I lived there for seven years, and then I moved back to Singapore, and then to Portugal, and I was Portugal for two years, and then I moved back to California for a year, and then came back when I was 16 to Portugal. Right. And I've been here ever since. So... um Ireland is the team that you identify most with when it comes to international football. Yeah. yeah. How did that happen? That's an incredible story. Uh, I think it really started when uh, Euro 2016, when Robbie, I remember Robbie Brady scored against Italy. I remember where I was, like uh, specifically I was in Marbella in Spain and I was playing in a football tournament and I remember watching him score and we went through and obviously we played against my other country, France, and I did want Ireland to win in that game. Unfortunately, we didn't. But yeah, that's where it started, really. So you said your other country. Your dad's Irish and your mum is French. Is that right? Yeah. Um, we were talking about this a little bit earlier on. <laughs> it's mad. Like it's <clears throat> it's funny. I remember reading a story uh, where, where you're talking, Cristiano, about even when you're growing up in San Diego as a kid, and even that far back, you're referencing yeah, your yeah, desire yeah, to be yeah. to be Irish and play for Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know where that came from. To be fair, because I don't think I ever even watched football at that point. But. Well, I did. I my friend did text me after I played against Sweden last year in October. He texted me saying that he remembered me saying that to him, like that I was going to play for Ireland one day and stuff like that. So, yeah. You you must be the only Cristiano Fitzgerald in the world, I'd imagine. I'd be yeah. fairly. I think I'm going to say that fairly uh, with ease. Um, you were yeah. born in 2003. This is the year that Cristiano Ronaldo was breaking through at, at uh, Old Trafford with the spaghetti coming out of his hair. Uh, young teenager. You, I assume yeah. you're named after Cristiano Ronaldo. What's the story there? Uh, well, the story is that we were living in Singapore at the time and my mum was 
pregnant of me and they still had a name and I think she was maybe like seven or six months pregnant at the time and uh my dad was a United fan or is a United fan and uh he was watching uh United against who was I think it was Bolton uh in Ronaldo Ronaldo's home debut uh for Man United and then um he came on and my dad really like he thought he played amazing and then he said like when he was running, it looked like his feet weren't touching the ground and stuff like that. And then he said that he really liked his name as well. And so he called my mom over and said, like, what do you think about that name? And my mom liked it as well. So that's, that's how I got my name. Does it, add, does it add an element of pressure? I'm sure there are quite a few Cristianos running around Portugal now, but you must have been among the first named after Cristiano Ronaldo. So is there a little bit of pressure having that name? Uh, I'm not too sure I I guess, I guess a little bit, but no, not really. Because you're a similar type of player as well. I so was going to say, I mean, yeah. if you were like a hard-tackling centre-back, no one would uh, bat an eyelid, but it turns out you're not. Yeah, winger. So you're, you're a right-footed left winger, so you're, you're, you're one of these players who cuts in, and, and pace, I understand, is quite a, quite a significant part of your game as well, Cristiano. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you've already broken into the Irish under-19 setup, and I know... Jim Crawford's 21s team is, is probably next on the list. Are, are you in constant touch with the FAI? Because, of course, we've, we've seen examples in the past of, of players like Grealish and Rice who have uh, come and gone when they've been, um, I guess, uh, able to play for other countries as well. But is it a case that the FAI are in constant touch with you and, and the 21s breakthrough is, is something that you're looking at? Uh, yeah, it is something that um, I am looking at, you know, to continue the Irish 21 squad. I think it's... Yeah, one of the biggest goals of mine for the season or for the for the rest of the year. And uh, yeah, no, I haven't really talked to any other countries or any other countries that I'm eligible for. It's, it's only been Ireland, really. So you yeah. have, you've just signed a new contract with Boa Vista as well. Um, so what's the story with Boa Vista? I, it's tough, I guess, to break into the the top three clubs in Portugal. You've got the likes of Benfica and Porto and Lisbon, who have been traditionally the dominant teams in Portugal. Um, Boa Vista have always been there or thereabouts as, as, as one of the teams in the Primera Liga but what, what, what are your ambitions with them? Clearly the contract means you're there to stay for, for, for the long term um, yeah. is the plan to break into the first team this season and start playing some games or, or how do you foresee the next few years? Uh, yeah, the, 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 I think the plan is for the rest of uh, the season and the rest of the year is to you know break into the team try and get as many minutes as possible you know obviously training with them every day and you know I've played in quite a few friendlies already maybe five or six friendlies um, you know uh, just try and get those minutes in and trying to like get an opportunity in an official game I think that's 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 my goal and obviously long term is to 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 bring success to the club and you know break get, get even closer to the top three so um, when you say you're a left winger, uh, obviously the role of the wide players in, in football has changed significantly um, in recent years. Um, are, you know, are you out and out attack? Do you have a lot of defensive responsibilities? Do you, do you help set the press? What, how would you describe what you see the, the role of the left winger as being? Uh, I think it's, it's all three of those aspects, really. Um, obviously, I do prefer to attack than I do to defend, but... Um uh, that's something that I think I've developed over the last few months because at this level, you know, coaches want you to do everything. On a youth level, you can manage to get away with it a little bit, but really, the winger has to do everything. We have to be able to press really high and press efficiently and then with the ball is, you know, with quality to get balls into the box or, you know, score yourself and 
all those things combined, I think, is really important to make a good winger. And so, um, again, obviously you, you try and do everything, but are you uh, involved in, in playmaking or are you trying to be more of a, a finisher? Like, so obviously Mbappe is not a winger. He's, a, he's like a, definitely a, a striker, but we kind of talk about um, those uh, left-sided or right-sided um, main strikers, you know, you, you, you don't have a, another striker. Although with France, they do when Giroud was there. But when he's playing, for example, um, at a club level, frequently there isn't an out-and-out number nine in the middle. Do, do you kind of see the role of, of winger as somebody who plays, who can be the main striker? Or is it actually somebody whose job it is to get to the byline and, and, uh, and create opportunities for other teammates? It's a difficult question, but obviously I'm going to say both. But um, I feel like myself, I do create more than I score. But um, I mean, I think I, I still can you know, be able to score. But I think creating is probably something that I do more. Shane was talking about pace. Um, I think your your pace stats are are off the charts. What's the fastest you've been clocked at? Uh, I think it was 35 kilometers an hour, 35.7. I can't remember specifically, but it was 35 percent. How does that compare with your teammates? Uh, it's one of the highest in the squad, I think. One of my teammates got clocked at 36 points this season of the game. But, um, you know, I think I'm up there. Yeah, so like Mbappe at the World Cup would have been 35. Or, yeah. Uh, you know, um, the best American footballers are kind of 33, 34, and they're obviously carrying the pads as well. But um, So that's obviously a key part of your game. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I think my explosiveness... To get past defenders or to get in behind, I think, is uh, probably one of my biggest biggest strengths. One last thing, obviously, with your with your background and having basically been a, a child of the world and lived all over the world, that opens up the opportunity for you. Uh, you know, let's let's talk, I really hope things go very well at in Boa Vista, Portugal. But you could play anywhere. Like I guess you know, when when everywhere has been home, it it opens up the prospect of you playing football all over the world at some stage in your career. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, moving around at a young age, you know, as much as I did, I think obviously some, you know, it's not, it's not as enjoyable as some people might think, you know, moving to a new school, a new club uh, every few years is it can be difficult, but I think that it's, you know, it's helped me adapt and it's helped me, you know, I feel like I can adapt to different styles, different coaches, different players, different environments, you know, relatively easy. So I do think that, yeah, it's possible for the future. Do you keep an eye on, on players of a similar age to yourself who are, who are Irish as well, Cristiano? Like, we're, we're, I guess the last couple of weeks we've been fairly heavily talking about uh, Evan Ferguson after his couple of goals and in the Premier yeah. League for Brighton. Like, do you keep an eye on those on those lads and what they're achieving? Yeah, yeah, of course. I've seen, um, obviously, some of my teammates that I had last season. Are, uh, I've seen that uh, Ida has gone from Shamrock Rovers to uh, Millwall. Um, obviously, I saw that Evan Ferguson scored in the Premier League uh, two games in a row was it uh, yeah Do you? so you, you were on loan I understand for a period last year at Dundee United and, and you played against Leicester City in a, in a behind closed doors game like I, I've seen your reference and a lot of players have referenced of your age the jump from under 19s to, to even 21s in senior football is quite significant we even saw with your, with your namesake Cristiano Ronaldo back in 03 it's all stepovers. It was it was a fairly rude awakening to the physical senior game. Have you noticed that yourself? Like, is it is it a thing where you're in training now? It's a it's a definite step up in physicality. 
Actually, just to, to talk about uh, Dundee United quickly, I actually never went to Dundee. All right. I was supposed to, but um, I got injured. So, yeah, it was supposed to happen, and it didn't. And the the physicality element of it when you're when you're in first team training with Boa Vista and you're, you're playing senior players and lads who are, you know, late twenties, early thirties, is it a is it a different kind of game to what you're used to? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I think that uh, physically, I think it's a whole other whole other level. Not only like uh, like their speed and everything like that, but it's also their endurance and how long they can run for and how you know, the strength that they have and all that. So it is something that I've tried to work on in the last four months that I've been here. Um, and uh, I think I have improved physically because, you know, as you, as you mentioned with Ronaldo when he was in 2003, he's getting kicks and shoves and he's falling on the ground all the time and stuff like that. So, yeah. Final, final one for me, Cristiano. Um, you, you've grandparents, I know, when you were growing up in, in, in Limerick and you would have spent some summers, no doubt, down, down about Limerick. Is that a huge element in terms of your your desire to play for for the Republic of Ireland senior team and 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 get into Stephen Kenny's squad at some point in the in the future? Like to have that family link and and heritage here is 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 a definite, I guess, carrot yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to go down all the time, and like when, when, whenever we had a holiday that we didn't go, I used to be I used to, always used to be so sad because I was I love going down, you know, to the farm and all that. So yeah, it is a big element for me. Well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck, Cristiano. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. You're very good with your time. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's uh, Cristiano Fitzgerald from uh, Bo Vista's training ground this morning where he's signed a, a full-time senior contract recently, uh, Republic of Ireland Under-19 International. It's a lovely kit as well, Bo Vista. It's nice, one of those. Yeah. just stands out, the black and white for sure. So must get my hands on a, on a Fitzgerald or C. Fitzgerald Bo Vista jersey. Don't know what squad number he is. Uh, he should be seven, let's be honest. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to be back tomorrow morning with Shane and Ashley O'Reilly hosting. We'll have the very latest episode of Around the World with Hannon, the return of You Had to Be There with the one and only Tommy Walsh and much more besides. Right now, we're going to leave you with the best of last night's football show where Kenny Cunningham joined Joe in studio. Enjoy. Have a wonderful Wednesday. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.